Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a good Friday morning to you and yours. Taking off a big Easter weekend. Hope everybody's doing all right. We welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by our good friends at United Dairy Farmers. Got the coffee ready to roll. Casey, welcome back. It's good to be back. Um, needed the day off. That's all I got to say. And you got a haircut. I got a haircut. It's good. I'm, now I'm not looking super, uh, super homeless anymore. <laughs> Look like all that long hair. Well, there are other beard. words that perhaps could replace that word after that haircut. Yeah. You looked like a Viking. A Viking? Yeah. Leif Erickson would be proud. Well, what do I look like now? You look like Casey. Oh. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, you mentioned coffee. I got my call from UDF, that jacked up Java, whatever it is. Oh, you get that stuff. I can't get that stuff. Too much. Too yeah. much for you? Yeah. It's good stuff. Are you guys eating breakfast every day before you come in here? Not, not on feast, not on Fridays in Lent. Okay. Okay, got to fast. I, I should be eating breakfast, but I, I mostly skip it. Okay. All right. Well, we got a big show here today, and we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can follow us a number of different ways. Start with YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, streaming live there every day, as we do as well on Facebook, the Chatterbox Sports page. Or if you'd rather join us in podcast form, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in with every voice I have left. These are the repercussions of not yelling at people, but for cheering Mm. at high school sporting events. They didn't play last night, did they? The most purest, no, but it's two days. It normally gets you a couple of days, gets me anyway, a couple of days later. But I got a full week to gear up. Don't play again until Friday night. Friday and Saturday. A couple out-of-town teams. Take it to them. All right, the Masters. Let's begin there. How about that leaderboard after round one? I mean, you've got it all. you got more, many of the current greats on the PGA Tour. You have amateurs tearing it up, shooting under par. Some of the live tours very best. So round one did not disappoint. And they're off and running already early on this good Friday morning. John Rahm, okay, walks out on the courts. One of the favorites, right? He four putts the first hole and has a double bogey. He goes on to finish seven under par with a 65. That score was the lowest ever in the history of the Masters by a player who had a double bogey on the first hole. Rom shares the lead at the Masters with Victor Hovland and Brooks Kepka, Columbus, Ohio resident. Jason Day at minus five. Defending champ Scotty Scheffler at four under. Jordan Spieth at three under. Phil Mickelson at one under. Tiger Woods two over. They say the projected cut is at even par. That could change throughout the course of the day today. Baseball news. Reds have had the last two days washed out by rain. That figures to change today at three o'clock. They're in Philadelphia, where the defending National League champs have their home opener. Great pitching matchup today. Hunter Green against Zach Wheeler, 3 o'clock first pitch. The Reds' next stop on this first road trip of the year is Atlanta. And that's a team you don't want to play pretty much anytime, anywhere, but especially right now. 6-1 and one to begin the year after a 7-6 win last night over San Diego. And speaking of the Padres, Reed, you're a big baseball guy. Yeah, Did you this. see this story? Yes. All right. 
Fernando Tatis Jr., right? One of the big stars in baseball, gets suspended last year for PEDs, 80 games. But he's allowed to play as that suspension carries into this year. He's allowed to play in minor league games. So last night, he hits a home run against a Giants AAA team in Sacramento. The pitcher who served it up, Cade McClure, jumped on Twitter after the game and called Tatis a cheater. He later deleted that text and that tweet. Why would he delete that? I have no idea, but it was funny because the the tweet that he that he retweeted was like Cade McClure will always tell the story about how he gave up a 460 foot bomb to Fernando Tatis, and he's like, "No, I won't. He's a cheater playing in AAA, serving out a PED suspension." You're right; it's true. I mean, you don't have to delete it if it's if it's if it's the truth. Look, if you have the guts, which very few people do in this day and age. I mean, how many times do we open? If people open a newspaper anymore, but you, you jump on and you open an article on the internet. Anonymous sources close to fill in the blank. It's rare guys will ever put their name to it. I admire the fact this guy put his name to it. And then somebody got to him. You know they did. Somebody got to him. Right there in Sacramento, somebody with a team, somebody with a giant, and said, oh, you can't do that. You can't call somebody that word they need to find their safe space it's a big word in your guys's generation safe space safe space football news dolphin star and former chief tyree kill told a kansas city radio station yesterday he plans to retire when his current contract expires at the end of 2025 he says that'll be 10 years in the league time to move on pack it up and move forward We'll see if he holds true to that. Now, coming up, this is pretty much a good Friday, football Friday. We're lined up with three guests to walk around our team-by-team look around the National Football League right here on Off the Bench. Leading up to the draft in a couple of weeks from now, we'll have Rick Stroud. He covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the Tampa Bay Times. Been doing it a long time. He's joining us in a matter of minutes. At 1040, Luke Johnson, the Saints beats writer. Down in New Orleans, we'll join the program. And Jake Ansman, host of The Wheelhouse on ESPN Radio in Houston, will stop in to talk about the Texans at 11.30. We also have, thanks to you, um, Kirby, we uh, read. We have Kirby. Nick Kirby mm-hmm. coming up to talk about the Reds. It's going to be great. At 11 o'clock. We got a big show today, right? Should a lot of people on the chat before we get to uh, Rick Stroud here shortly. Just want to see what, what's on their mind today, if anything. They're beating you up uh, per usual. Reed, you are uh, you take a regular beating around here. I because you do dish it out. Yeah. You 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 came out and said today on the chat, Jason Bossler stinks. He does. He does stink. I know he's playing well. I mean, but I mean, if you make it to the bigs, you can play one week well in the in the bigs. I mean, everyone's jump jumping on buying some Vossler jerseys. Vossler. Similar to what Casey thinks of the Browns. He stinks. The Reds stink. Every every piece of it. I have fun with you guys. Well, I just don't understand why in the world, why in the world you would go out. This young man has been in your organization. I mean, you guys never gave him a chance. What's that say about you? He's got more home runs than anybody on your team. And you didn't even give a guy a chance. How many home runs does he have? 
He has three. Oh, well, that is more than anyone. Well, I mean, we don't need to give him a chance. <laughs> we we had a, we had a guy named uh, Anthony Rizzo going through for a while, and you know, Vossler plays outfield and third base. We had another guy named Chris Bryan. I just don't know where Vossler could have came in and played. So he stinks. Well, glad, I'm not suggesting he could have come in and played. The Cubs have some talented players, but I'm just saying, why for a 29 year old guy, I would think that you would have some. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? at least give the guy a little bit of rope. He's been in the minor league since he was 22 years old. He's getting into big leagues, and he hits three home runs in the first six games of the year. Five games. you got to beat him down. Well, he's a red, so that's just what we do here. If you, if you, wear, if you wear the wishbone C on your jersey, it doesn't matter if it's in football or baseball, I'll, I'll beat you down. They stink, Tom. I don't know what else to tell you. I just uh, don't get it. Why? You know, look, you want to beat down one of the stars who, who you don't like or whatever the case may be. I understand that. But you strike me uh, as a young man with, you know, some compassion and appreciating a guy and his desire and his drive. And you just chop him down. It is, it is honestly Stop him down. It is honestly really cool when you see like a guy in, in his late twenties or every once in a while you'll get a thirty year old rookie making it making it through as Vossler is right now. That's right? exactly right. So it is it is always cool to see that. I mean, you're just talking about Caden McClure um, a little while ago. He's never made it to the pros. He's yep. twenty eight years old. Yep. Twenty eight years old. And that's typically, you know, I've known a half a dozen to a dozen guys that have been in been in the league or been in minors and they played well in minor leagues, but they get to age 25, 26. See ya. That's all you got. You know, I wonder how many, and we're going to be getting to football here in a second, but uh, I, I've, I've always wondered, going way, way back to when I, you know, was first broadcasting games back in the late 80s, and, but, but more so now uh, because we've seen the shift and we've seen the emphasis on analytics and launch angle and all this nonsense and and you know guys swinging for the fences striking out all the time going up there to walk and see the guys who just go hit like the o'neill kid with the mets that guy just hits right how many guys have been kept in the minor leagues and you look at their minor league numbers year after year after year and all they do is just go out and hit but you know because the analytics say their launch angle isn't this, or you know they, you know they don't walk enough. Um, how many of those guys have been kept down in the minor leagues? It probably could have helped some some major league teams. I I think all the time, right right there with you about they they oftentimes keep these higher draft picks, right? The guys they draft in the first five yep. rounds because they have money invested in them. You're trying to get a return on an investment, but. You see these guys that are drafted in the 15th, 20th round that are just roster fillers, and they know they're roster fillers. They're trying to live out a dream, but at the same time, they're batting 320, hitting 15 home runs. But they never get that shot because, you know, their salary is $10,000 for the year as opposed to half a million dollars for some of these early draft choices. And, I mean, you told the story about Mike Piazza. He never even gets a shot if he's not Tommy Lasorda's Nephew. You are spot on. 62nd round draft pick. I think there were 1,300 players chosen before he was. And, 1,300. And he's one of the greatest catchers of all time. No doubt about it. Best offensive. Certainly. Hitting catcher of all time. But look, today on this Good Friday, 
We mentioned it earlier. We are talking the National Football League. We're previewing teams around the league leading up to the draft. And a guy who's been covering this sport, Lord knows. He, I mean, he doesn't look like it. He looks like he never ages a day. And that's Rick Stroud uh, from down in Tampa. A good Friday to you, Rick. How you doing? Good Friday to you, Tom. I'm good to be with you. Hey, I, I got to ask you, when you look, we like to, 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 to ask these three questions about different organizations as we're going through this look around the league leading up to the draft. And we ask, okay, where have you been? Where are you now? And where are you going? Let's start with the Buccaneers. You know, where have you been? Uh, this was a team that they brought in Tom Brady. They won a Super Bowl. Uh, the coach steps aside. Todd Bowles comes in, takes over. Brady retires, decides to come back. Uh, great receiving core, so on and so forth. Looked like the defense was going to be good. Where is the organization now? Well, Leading up to the draft. Uh, How do people feel about the franchise? I mean, you go from Tom Brady now to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a big drop-off, right? Uh, the greatest of all time. And I, I think there's a recognition that you know, the bill is coming due for the three years of Tom Brady. And look, it was a remarkable ride. You know, it, it was like a comet. It was bright. It went through the sky, lit it up, and then it was gone um, almost as fast. But when you, when you consider that Tom came in here during a pandemic, um, you know, so much was different about our world, not just sports. And for him to win a Super Bowl in his first year was just remarkable. They made the playoffs three years in a row. They won the division twice. Um, there was some chaos last year, to say the very least. He had some personal issues going on, obviously, with uh, the divorce from his wife, lost a lot of weight, um, lost some key players on the offensive line, really the second day of camp. So, so much happened that last year was really difficult. I don't think they won more than two games in a row at any point during the season, and it didn't finish the way they had hoped, and Todd Bowles didn't have the year that he had hoped. So they're kind of caught in between, Tom. I mean, you know, there are teams either you either have a quarterback or you don't, right? You're looking for one. Yep. And they they got fortunate with Tom to choose them to come here, and, and it couldn't have worked out better, and they wouldn't trade it for the world. But that left them $57 million over the salary cap, and they had to do some things and cut some players to re-sign some of the few guys that they could. And so now they're not really starting over. They're kind of in the worst place you can be in the NFL sometimes, which is – you still think you have a chance to win, especially this division, but you really need to get younger and, and you need to start, you know, uh, parting ways with some players that have won a lot of games for you. So it's, it's kind of an in-between land right now. Before I get to uh, some of the other guys uh, and, and moving forward, I'm just curious. I always like to ask people, and forgive me for my voice here today. I was yelling at my uh, son's high school lacrosse game the other night, so I got <laughs> nothing left in the tank. Um, but being around uh, Tom Brady, what, what, what do you take away from being around him the last three years that just for, you know, us regular fans, we watch a guy, the career he's had, the greatest of all time, et cetera, et cetera. But, but what struck you, if anything, maybe that, that we may not know much about Tom Brady? You know, what's uh, interesting, and I, I didn't get to meet him personally for a little while because of the pandemic, but when I finally did um, sit down with him, I mean, he knew me. We dealt with him every day. A lot of it was by Zoom the first year. But the last two years, I've, I've sat around him and observed him, talked to him. The first thing I would say is that he's one of the most humble superstars in sports I think you'll ever be around. Yep. Um, you know, when, you, when he's 
when you're in front of him one-on-one or, or in, a, in small groups or whatever, um, he's incredibly present. And, and you don't get that from a lot of guys with, with sort of, you know, his accomplishments. And, um, you know, he looks you in the eye. He's not on his cell phone. He's not in a hurry. Uh, he listens. He asks questions. Um, and I think that's sort of been the recipe to his success is that uh, he can integrate himself. I mean, these players he was playing with, some of them were born the year that he came into the NFL. I mean, it's remarkable to think that, but it's true. And yet he could relate to these guys and be one of the guys, even though he clearly wasn't um, in terms of his stature and his accomplishments. But he loves everything about the game. I mean, he, he loves the preparation. He loves the locker room, um, you know. And the one thing I think he imparted on these guys almost from the first day is, you know, what it takes to win in this league, what, what it, you know, the commitment you have to make. And no one has made a bigger commitment in this sport than Tom Brady physically or mentally right to play at 45 at the level he did um but i think it i think guys didn't want to disappoint him when he got here uh they felt fortunate that he chose the bucks and so uh you really saw a difference in terms of work ethic and attention to detail and you know they're hoping some of that stays with the organization you know everybody talks about culture when they get a job we got to change the culture well culture is winning and tom brady's the greatest winner that there's been in this sport and so, you know, it's a chicken and the egg thing, but they're hoping that um, there's a lot of Super Bowl champions that will remember the commitment you have to make to win games. You know, I got to tell you, Rick, uh, and, and you've been around the league forever and a day. Uh, I think there are some things to like about Baker Mayfield. Uh, we yeah. saw him inside the division here in the uh, AFC North. Uh, you know, Bengal fans can't stand a guy. Ohio State fans, for that matter, can't stand a guy. But look, if he's on your team, you love him. Well, at least most of the time. And, and if he's not on your team, you don't like him at all. He plays with fire. He plays with passion. I think he cares. I think he wants to be a good player. Um, what have been your impressions so far since they brought him in? Well, they've been good. And I, and I don't think that Baker Mayfield is, you know, the kid that came out of Oklahoma. I mean, he's been through some stuff. If you think about it, this is his fourth team, Tom, since last July. I mean, that, that, that is not a journey that he would have picked for himself or any, any player, right? And when he went to Cincinnati, I mean, it's undeniable that you have to look at the franchise that he joined, right? Um, when he got there, they had gone 3-13, and 1-15, uh, and 0-16. And he had four head coaches and five offensive coordinators. And in his third year, he took them to a playoff game and won it in Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, and so he, he has talent. Um, he has a strong arm for a guy his size. Uh, he absolutely uh, has, you know, a big edge to him. He's always been that guy, right, that people counted out. I mean, the, the stories about only having a couple of, uh, you know, offers coming out of, uh, out of you know, high school, and, and it was FAU, Washington State, and stuff like that. Um, you know, so what he's accomplished has been remarkable, and I think that this is a good situation for him because, you know, he's going to have to compete for the job with Kyle Trask, but there's enough pieces here from that Super Bowl team, especially on offense, if they can build a line around him with Dave Canales and what they're going to do on the offensive system, I think it's going to fit him well. Dude, apologize for the noise, guys. No, don't apologize at all. Believe me, it's chaos around my house. It looks like you might be at home. It's constant <laughs> chaos. Kids, Good dogs, Friday, kids and, are hey, home. Absolutely. Everybody's home. Thank God for that safe and sound. Um, let's start with the offense. You know, 
and we've touched on on Mayfield a little bit. There are definitely some really good pieces as far as the skill positions are concerned, especially at wide receiver. But when you look at uh, the running back situation, Fournette's not there anymore. Uh, they've let him go. Um, and the offensive line had so many injuries and so many questions, even for those that filled in. Offensively speaking, what needs to happen between now and the draft or post-draft to, to, to get this to be a good offense again? Because it seems like there are enough pieces where it could be a good offense again. Yeah, I think there's enough pieces. I, I, again, I, I think that they went through a lengthy process and talking to offensive coordinators. And look, this is a tough sell. I mean, this is an important year for Todd Bowles. Right. There's no guarantee. He won eight games last year. Um, they did win the division, but they were eight and ten. And so he, he needs a prove it year. He doesn't have Tom Brady to fall back on, but he didn't have a chance to hire his own coaches. So Canales comes in here uh, from Seattle where they ran the football very well with Kenneth Walker. Um, you know, they had kind of an outside zone blocking scheme. They've got to improve their offensive line. I mean, I think they obviously need a tackle. They got rid of Donovan Smith. Tristan Wirfs could move from left to right or from right to left tackle if he needed to. Um, so they've got to continue to build there. But they're very high on Rashad White, um, who you know became the starter halfway through the season last year and took over Leonard Fournette's job. He's got power and speed. He can catch the ball. He has great hands. But he's a young player. He has to do it, right? They, they've got to find a way to get him productive on the field. But I think the commitment to running the football and being a little more balanced is going to be there. Now, balance doesn't necessarily win. You have to do what you can to win. Um, but they were last in rushing attempts last year, and that's just not a good recipe, uh, even with Tom Brady, right? And so I think it'll be a different offense. They'll have to, you know, play a complimentary game. They still have a lot of good pieces on defense. It's a fast defense. Um, they got to add to that too. But um, you know, playing more to the strength of their team, which which is field position defense, um, and not making mistakes. I think they have a chance to win. Look, this division outside. Or the fact that Derek Carr went to the Saints is still quarterback, you know, absent when you think yeah. about it. I mean, Carolina's going to draft a guy number one. Um, we don't know what the Saints are going to do with Derek. I think it's a great a hire by them. Um, and, you know, Atlanta is kind of stuck in the middle with Desmond Ritter. So um, it's still a division they can win. And I, I, I think they have a lot of different ways they want to attack it. All right, uh, final two things I want to ask you about. You know, number 19 in the draft, if indeed they decide they want to go offensive line, a lot of people have speculated that's where they're going to go, but a lot of teams give you that thing, best player on the board, who's left, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that the route you think they go ultimately as offensive line? And, and you may not get Paris Johnson Jr., but there are going to be some other guys out there that might be around at 19. Yeah, I, I do. And, and you know, it's hard to say because 19 is one of those spots where uh, if you're the Buccaneers and you do need offensive line help, but you also need other things too, right? You need you need safety help. You need a, an edge rusher as, as desperately as anything. I mean, Shaq Barrett's coming off an Achilles injury that cost him half the season. You don't know what you're going to get from him at 31 years old. Joe Tryon, Shawinka has not really stepped up the way they wanted him to on the other side. So they're going to have to uh, address a lot of areas. And so at 19, you might be in a situation, and, and Jason Light has done this, where he's traded up, traded down. Maybe you can get, you know, two players in that, you know, 20 to 27, 28, 30 range that have the same value on your board. Um, but, but there's no question they have to come out of this draft with, with a tackle, whether it's left or right. Again, I think Tristan Wirfs is able to move to the left side if he needs to. Um, preferably you get a left tackle, but if not that, 
Um, you're looking at the safety position. You're looking at uh, edge rusher, uh, even inside linebacker, because Levante David is, you know, 33 years old and, and he's got a one-year deal. And Devin White's a free agent next year that you've got assigned to about a $100 million contract. So they have a lot of needs. And, and I really do believe that they've tried to cover themselves in free agency so they're not hostage to a position. Um, but, but definitely the offensive line is going to be a priority in this draft. I know you don't cover the Panthers, but if you were a betting man, who they take in with the first pick? Wow, that's such a great uh, question. And, uh, you know, I think it's probably different every day. Um, if, it, if, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud because um, I just believe that they probably feel more comfortable with the size that he has. And, and he's been very productive, obviously, at Ohio State. Bryce Young, to me, is an exceptional player. I, I don't know that I could pass on the production that that kid had, regardless of his of his height. He's been that size. He's playing in the SEC. He dominated a, a conference um, that is the best in college football. And, I and you know, I've watched him play. I've watched him throw. I, I think he's got all the throws. But I think they'll probably go with, with uh, C.J. Stroud if I was a betting guy. All right. You, you've covered the league for a long time. I'm, I'm going to throw another one out of left field at you because I, I just find this to be one of the most fascinating stories I have seen in sports in a long time. And that yeah. is this Lamar Jackson thing. Uh, I mean, golly, day, there are so many tentacles off of this thing. And I mean, you know, here in Cincinnati, they, they, they played the regular season finale here. A week later, opening round of the playoffs here. Lamar Jackson did not even travel with the team. Forget the fact that he couldn't play. He didn't even come to the game in Cincinnati to cheer on his teammates. To me, if I ran that franchise, that would have been it. Cut bait. See you later. Catch you on the flip side. But that's me. Where does all this thing, how does this thing play out, do you think? I know you're not there every day, but, but you've been around the league a long, long time. Yeah, it, it's a difficult situation, and I do know Todd Munkin pretty well, who coached here and had Baker and, and, and you know in um, in Cleveland for a year, and he was brought there, you know, to help Lamar Jackson and to, to install an offense that you know obviously parts of it was successful at Georgia, and you know just in talking to him, he's like, look, if, if Lamar's not going to be here in the off season in OTAs and, and all that. Um, there's really little I can do with this offense. You know, we're, we're going to have to pick up where they were a year ago. And so there's a lot at stake here to get him signed and get him signed soon. Um, there, you know, the rhetoric has not been good. I think not having an agent certainly was, was difficult um, anytime you have to talk directly to the player. I, I just don't think Lamar has many options. And I, I don't see them trading them. Uh, I think, you know, teams are scared by the guaranteed money aspect of it. Plus, you can go through this whole exercise and not get the player because they could match it, right? Yeah. So I, I think he's going to end up playing in Baltimore. Um, and maybe it, it's for a smaller deal or in terms of length of years, maybe it's three years, uh, $150 million, you know, most of it guaranteed. Who knows? Um, but I can't imagine that, that you would ever want to part ways with a talent like Lamar Jackson. I know the Ravens don't. They planned everything around him. So... We'll have to see where it works out, but uh, hopefully cooler heads prevail. But there's been a lot of rhetoric that, that's heard on both sides, I think. But you know what, Rick, and, and, and I get into debates with guys around here, our producers all the time, about, you know, Jackson sitting out. I say there's no way on God's earth a guy's going to sit out. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be 30, 35, yeah. 40 million, even if it's on a one-year franchise tag deal. That's right. We've seen what happened with Le'Veon Bell and guys like that. You know, all of a sudden you disappear for a year, you come back, the money's not going to be there where it might be this year. You don't think he'll sit out, right? 
I don't. I, I think the system is just built that way. It's you know the, the league, the players agreed to these franchise tags, um, and and this is what it's for to protect your best players. Uh, it, their their problem is with the NFLPA. It shouldn't be with any team that wants to franchise you. Obviously, Baltimore would like to lock them up. They should have done it before now. Um, but they really don't have players don't have a ton of leverage in this situation other than not playing. And that's you're never going to make up that money. And you're right. You lose a year um, of production and, and, and it's just not a good thing for anybody. So my guess is that uh, he'll end up playing for the Ravens. But uh, we may have to ride this one out until training camp. All right. Uh, before I let you go, I do have one more question for you, because around here, it was a huge story, as you well know, uh, when uh, the Bengals and Bills game was canceled because of the injury to Hamlin, uh, they didn't make up the game, nor should they have made up the game. OK, but all of a sudden now they start talking about coin flips and all this kind of thing. With all the sources you have around the league, do you think and it didn't happened because Cincinnati beat Buffalo. So the Bengals had to go to Kansas City, the team they had beaten already during the regular season to play in the championship game. Do you think in the NFL we are moving toward having a neutral field championship in the NFC and the AFC? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, that that trial balloon, the NFL is famous for floating these, right? Um, and, I mean, all you have to do is look at how they've monetized things like the NFL draft, right? Things like the uh, the combine, which is gonna start to move around, you know, to, from city to city. Everything now is a TV show. Everything is a, is a week long event, right? Imagine having the NFL experience and a week long celebration and name the, name the city uh, for the AFC or the NFC championship. Um, let's be honest, it's, it's unfortunate, but a lot of times the regular fan is priced out of these events anyway. Yep. Um, so, I, I absolutely do believe, and I, I think it's unfortunate. I don't, you know, home field advantage should mean something if you're in Buffalo and it's, you know, 20 degrees below and snowing or whatever. Um, that should be your advantage for for winning it all, for having home field. Uh, but I think when they get to the championship game, yeah, I I expect that to happen. It's just like, you know, they can't get too much of anything if someone's willing to pay for it. We're going to have two Thursday night games at, at one point, I think. Maybe they tabled it for now, but that's that's going to happen at times. And so I I looked at that and I said, okay, this is this is where the league is heading, and um, I'm I'm not sure that they won't get there eventually. Well, Rick, I can't thank you enough for your time, my friend. You've been doing it so well for so long, and uh, and keep on rolling, my friend. Thanks for our visit today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Tom. And I'm going to tell two little girls they need to be quiet when dad's on these Don't shows. ever tell the little girls to be quiet when dad's <laughs> doing it. I mean, come on, come on. You got to be hanging out with them. Go have fun. Good Friday to All you. Right, Happy thanks, Easter Tom. weekend. Same to you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. Now, that guy's on his game and has been for a long time. You go down there, you know, certain cities you go into and there's like that Mac Daddy in the town, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the Mac Daddy. Of Tampa? When you roll into Tampa. He was on it. I mean, he knows about everything about everything going on. I mean, he doesn't even bat an eye. You ask mm -hmm. him about Lamar Jack. Boom. I know Todd Munkin. You ask him about the league, trial balloon, championship. Boom. It's great. I think it'd be a shame if, if it ends up happening. I agree with him. I think that's where we're going. Um, and I think that they – I think the league quietly and Bengals saying, you know, fans look at it like, you know, oh, they were rooting against us. Casey's one of those guys. They were rooting against us. They are rooting against us. But I think they wanted that game to be played in Atlanta. 
I think they wanted to see what would happen if you had a championship game last year and it was only going to be in the AFC game because of the loss game by the Bills and the Bengals. But I think the league wanted to see, as a, that proverbial trial balloon, what would that look like playing at a neutral field? It would have been in Atlanta, the Bills against the Chiefs for the AFC championship game, because he's right. At the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a National Football League or your finances at home. Money talks and the BS walks. Why, wh what benefit would they have from going to a neutral site? Just getting more money. fans? Money. 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 I mean, money. They'll pick these stadiums just like the, the Final Four does in basketball. They'll, 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 they'll go to these stadiums that have 75, 80,000 seats. They're going to run up the price. They're going to have the whole NFL experience saying they're going to go to good weather places or places with domes mm -hmm. uh, where you can have that whole experience like you do at the Super Bowl. Uh, sponsors, corporate people, everybody coming in, right? That's what they want. That's what they are. Do you see this happening within the next 10 years? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Within five. Within five? Within five. Huh. I would bet on it. I hope I'm wrong because I think there's something to be said like he said. I mean, I think there's something really cool about the Freezer Bowl here in Cincinnati years ago, right? Yeah. I think there's something to be said for watching a championship game in Buffalo or Kansas City when it's snowing sideways and all that kind of thing instead of the perfect conditions in the dome and all that sort of noise. But, yeah, I, I think it's definitely going that way. All right, um, we have lots of football to talk about today. Joining us in uh, less than 10 minutes will be Luke Johnson. Hear more about the NFC South. He covers the New Orleans Saints down there. So we'll take a break. Ham and Eggers, take it away, boys. Mr. President. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Casey, I got a question for you. Simple question. Simple question? Yeah. I'm all about simple questions. I need you to go back in your memory, because I know mm -hmm. the first time that I've heard this word, but what was the first time and where was the first time that you heard the word alkaline? Hmm. The first time I ever heard alkaline. For I, me? Go ahead. I, I think I think it was Pawnee. Well, it wasn't the, I think of, you know, back gaming, batteries, right? And what do batteries do? They produce energy. And you can think of it the same way with Pawnee water. It's a new alkaline water, and alkaline water has been shown to give superior hydration benefits versus regular water in a clinical study, and no one does it better than right here in Hamilton. Pawnee water. It's a natural limestone filtration. That's better than those artificial processes at all those other places, man. And I got to tell you, it's just great stuff. <laughs> Um, Pawnee, it's PawneeWater.com, P-A-H-H-N-I, Water.com, and that's where you can see where you can buy this stuff. Casey, mm -hmm. now Pawnee Water is great, and uh, we were talking about um, ball players that get into the major leagues when they're 30s, and I know you're uh, you know, a novice to the game. This is a relatively new story, and I don't know if... People in the chat have seen this, but I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Matt Bush. All right? Okay. Matt Bush is a relief pitcher now for the Milwaukee Brewers. And Matt Bush was famous for being drafted first overall back in 2004 by the San Diego Padres. And the reason that he was selected, everyone was wondering, the Padres were trying to save money. 
They didn't want to take some, some of their guys in that 2004 draft. I think Justin Verlander might have been drafted in that draft, but essentially they took Matt Bush. He was a local guy. Matt Bush never made it to the league. Um, well, initially. He then got in some legal trouble around. So he got drafted in 2004, never made it to the league. It's 2009, 2010. He's getting arrested for beating up high school kids. He goes to prison, gets multiple DUIs. He goes to prison. He comes out in 2015. He then determines himself. He was drafted as a shortstop. He comes back, starts throwing gas, and now has reclaimed his life and is 38 years old and has made the league. So I'm just trying to give you a one-to-one -one comparison. Imagine a guy getting drafted first overall in the NFL. I know these guys typically play right away, but immediately gets drafted first overall and, you know, gets in legal troubles. You don't see him, goes to prison for five years, whatever. And then he comes out as a wide receiver or running back or something like that. And then he comes out as a 33-year-old out of prison and becomes a cornerback. I'm just, it's a fun little story, Matt Bush is. That is kind of fun. It is a fun little story. And then, of course, thanks to our other ad reads, um, if you're going to bet, bet with Betfred. If you're going to get your coffee, get it from Udine at Dairy Farmers. Um, Encore Technologies, they're your data services. Tom, I was just – I know we've got a guy coming here quickly, but I was just telling Casey we were talking about professional baseball players that don't make it in the league till they're like 30. Right. The story about Matt Bush, the relief yep. pitcher from the Brewers. What a great comeback story that is. Boy, you talk about a guy that's been through some stuff now. In prison for multiple, yep. multiple years. Comes out in 2015. Never made the show after being a first overall draft pick yep. as a shortstop. Comes back as a relief pitcher, what, three or four years ago. And still yep. pitching to this day, 38 years old. And, yeah, and, it's hard to believe. I, I remember when he was drafted. I, I mean, I remember everybody thought he was going to be the next. I'm not going to say Tom Seaver, but everybody thought he was going to be, you know, big, strong guy, whole nine yards. And, and hey, God bless him. He's, 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 he's overcome a lot of things in his life. He's got it together. There's nothing better than that. Uh, here in the chat, someone is saying breaking news here today that Reds bench coach Freddie Benavides yeah. will be the uh, acting manager, David Bell, to have a minor medical procedure, uh, will be expected back tomorrow. So it must be very minor. So we hope that David Bell is okay and everything's all right. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Freddie Benavides. Has he been around for a while? I don't know anything. Long about. time. Was a player in the Reds um, system, came up with the Reds to the big league club. One of those guys who not so much with a bat, very good fielder, very smart baseball man. The one guy, in my opinion, the Reds organization never gave a chance to manage the team, and I always felt like they should have given him that chance, was Billy Hatcher. I'd sit around for hours and talk to Billy Hatcher about baseball. That guy, not only a great player, World Series hero for the Reds, but mm -hmm. I mean a really, really smart, sight, uh, insightful, intelligent baseball guy. Uh, I, I think baseball missed the boat, and he's still living right here in town. I see him out walking his dogs all the time, going right through Madeira. Really? Yeah, sharp dude. Sharp dude. All right, another sharp dude who was kind enough, uh, as I have said, I'm going to apologize Luke Johnson ahead of time. Um, I'm yelling and screaming the other night at one of my kids' sporting events, so I sound like I just rolled out of bed after drink until 2.38, which I wasn't last night. I gave up the booze for Lent. I wish I was drinking until 2.38 last night, but I can't blame that. Luke Johnson from down in New Orleans. No, Luke, all the years that I've come down there to New Orleans broadcasting NFL games, how do you pronounce your paper? <laughs> it's the Times-Picayune. 
Picayune. Picayune. Is that an old yeah. Cajun word? Help me with that. No, actually, it's uh, if if I remember correctly, it's uh, it's actually like a like a coin. Uh, mm. um, yeah, it's like like an old. I think it was like a Spanish coin Spanish, or something yes, like right, that. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's, that's actually same from. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for cleaning that up. Um, let's get right to it. Let's start with, we just had Rick Stroud on a, a few minutes ago. You know Rick, and we're bouncing around the NFL, and we've been zeroed in this first week on the NFC South. Um, Derek Carr, what are your impressions on the Saints bringing in Derek Carr to be their quarterback? Well, I mean, it's a big upgrade over what they've had, I think, um, the last couple of years. And I think there's an opportunity here for Derek Carr to prove um, that that he's better than than maybe uh, what he's shown so far in his career. Um, I think a lot of people around the league will will tell you, uh, you know, there's there's you, know, it, you have, have a guy who played for the Raiders for nine years. I, I mean, that's that's kind of a hard thing to overcome. Um, I mean, we've just seen how that that organization's been managed. Um, you know, it's tough to succeed there. So I think there's a chance that that he's better than what he's shown, and if that's the case, I think the Saints have a pretty good quarterback there. Um, and if if everything else remains the same, um, if their defense is able to hold up this level it's played at the last couple of years, if uh, some of these young skill position players are as good as they showed last year, and if if some guys get healthy, I, I mean, this is a lot of ifs, but the Saints are banking all, on all these ifs coming, you know, playing out, and uh, and. You know, having this this team be a, a favorite in the NFC South and, and get back in the playoffs. Has he already gotten in there in New Orleans and, and and embracing the organization, the town, the coaching staff, all that kind of thing? He being Carr uh, since he signed that free agent deal. So he hasn't moved in yet, but um, but you know when he came in and, and did his introductory press conference, which I, you know, I believe is uh, four or five days after he signed, so in early March before the free agency period started. I mean, he, he said all the right things. You know, I, I think he's he's shown reverence for um, you know, some of the greats that have played here, whether it's Drew Brees or or you know even you know Sean Payton and and the the success those guys had together. Um, you know, he said all the right things about New Orleans, and this is really the kind of place where if you are if you are deferential to the city itself and to everything that makes it great, people are going to love you here. And I think he's kind of understood that. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's he's made all the the, the right steps to this point, but he's not here yet. And I'd expect that to change in the next uh, next month or so. All right, let, let, let's back up a little bit since free agency happened and they bring in Carr. Uh, you talked about the defense a little bit, but 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 expound upon that a little bit, if you would, Luke Johnson, uh, because there are some guys that have walked out the door as free agents. How do they feel about the defense right now leading up to the draft? I think they feel pretty good about it. Um, I think their back end is, is really solid. Um, yeah, I think... Their, their two starting safeties, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, are you know, as good a combo as you're going to find in the NFL, I think. Marshawn Lattimore, when he's healthy, I think is still a top five corner in the NFL. And then they got two young guys that they're really fond of. And Alante Taylor, the second round pick last year, and Paulson Adebo, their third round pick the year before. Both of those guys played really well last year. Um, so the, yeah, it starts there. Um, I think their linebacker core is solid. If yeah, But this is, again, this is ifs. If Demario Davis is still able to play the way he has been at 34, um, you feel pretty good about him. Pete Werner, I think, had an excellent year last yep. year when he was healthy. So you know, this is all, all these caveats, right? And, and then you look at the defensive line, and that's really the area right now where 
you could see them potentially taking a step back. Cam Jordan is is not getting any younger. He's he's stayed as a very productive player for his entire career. But you know, at some point, you have to wonder you know when it's going to fall off. Um, you know they're going to have an entirely new defensive interior. Uh, they let both of their guys go, uh, and David Onyemata, who signed a you know, twelve million dollar a year contract, they're never going to match that. I, I think that's a big overpay for him, and uh, and Shy Tuttle who. He signed a five mil a year contract with the Panthers, and yeah, you know, it's a, you could probably find a lot of guys like Shy Tuttle. I, I think that's probably a good move not to bring him back, but you're going to have new guys who, who you don't know as well. Um, and then, you know, on the other defensive end spot, they they ended the Marcus Davenport experiment. You know, he was never healthy enough to to deliver on his potential, so they let him walk. And now they got to figure out whether Peyton Turner, their first rounder from a couple of years ago, is is going to make it in the NFL. He's, he's, he's only played like maybe 10 or 11 games in his career since they, they picked him. Um, you know, they, they got to find some impact guys there, I think, because uh, their defensive line is critically important to what they do. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see them good D-line 1-2 in the draft um, later this month. You know, um, all the years I was coming down there and, and doing games and Breeze was there and, and Peyton was there as a coach, I think a lot of people who didn't see the Saints play regularly thought they were just a slinging around kind of team. They actually were not only a great passing team, they year in and year out were among the top three, four, five running teams uh, in the NFL. They have a defensive-minded head coach now. Peyton was all about the offense. W- what's the identity going to be like now with this this team do you think offensively or are they still looking for that identity yeah I think they still are and look a lot of this depends on on who Derek Carr is right and I think there's um there's a lot of talk around here about Derek Carr playing kind of a similar game to to what Drew Brees did right and that's being somebody who's like in full command of the offense it was one of the reasons that New Orleans was a an attractive spot for him frankly um is, is they want somebody who's going to come in and be in control of this thing and, uh, and it, you know, is, is going to have a couple different plays at, when he goes up to the line of scrimmage and he's going to make the call, you know? Um, but at the same time, when, when I, I think you're looking at what Dennis Allen wants to do, it, it, you know, he's, there's no doubt in my mind, he's one of the more conservative coaches in the NFL. Yeah. Right. I, Look, I, I think there was there, there was this stat that just boggled my mind. I figured it out in like week sixteen last year, but they went like the last like twelve games of the season. I think up until week eighteen, like without attempting a fifty-plus yard field goal. You know, it, it, it's it's like that sort of thing where he doesn't go for it a lot on fourth down, and and you know he, he doesn't want to attempt these long field goals. He's very conservative, and I think that's going to play out with uh, with the way this offense looks. You know, I, I think they're going to be a run-heavy team. You know, I mean, there are, there are going to be games and Derek Carr is throwing it 35, 40 times, but that's not what they want to be, you know. And um, I, I think it's why they, they made it a priority to go out and sign Jamal Williams. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they added another running back to the mix uh, because that's, that's kind of what they want their identity to be. They want to grind teams at dust on defense and offense. And now you got a, a, a better quarterback who can then kind of play off of that and take advantage of that a little bit better than they have in the last couple of years. Not following the team every single week. What happened to Alvin Kamara? No, I don't think I, I don't think he's 
any different than than the player he was in 2019 than, than he has been the last two years. The problem is that they haven't had good quarterback play. He has been the only player on that offense that anybody has to worry about. And then on top of that, the Saints are, are, are using him in a completely different way than they have been. Yeah, I don't think Alvin Kamara is at his best when you're just running outside zone 15 times a game and slamming him into the line. Um, and it's basically what they've been doing. I mean, he's set career highs and, and touches both of the last two years. Um, he's been dealing with injuries both times. And then, you know, they, you know I think there was like a four or five week stretch last year where he's facing 60% of the, 60, 60% of the time he's touching the ball, he's facing an eight man box. Right. This is just not going to work. Um, and I think that's why it was important for them to go out and get somebody who's a capable number two. Um, who's, it was important for them to go out and get a quarterback who, who, you know, teams are actually going to fear. It's important for them to develop a, a, another wide receiver outside of Michael Thomas. They have all these things now. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, after Kamara deals with whatever sort of discipline he's going to get from the league, um, if he has a, a, a big bounce back year and, and his efficiency numbers go back to being what they were in 2019 when he's averaging five plus yards of carry instead of the 3.8 or 4.0 that he's averaged the last couple of years. Um, I just think they're going to have to use him differently to, to make or to take advantage of his really um, explosive skill set because we just haven't seen that for two years now. All right. You mentioned the draft, and uh, I think it's 29th overall, right, in the uh, opening round for the Saints. You know, the question is, and, and we wonder the same thing uh, here in Cincinnati, because the one thing you, you talked about, the defensive line, you know, the thing, the, the Bengals have some good players, your old buddy Trey Hendrickson, and they've got Sam Hubbard, and they got some other guys that – that, you know, some pressure on the quarterback, but they, they, they feel like around here they're really missing that guy to get to the quarterback. Can you find that guy in the first round with a 29th pick? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I think there's going to be a, a handful of guys in, in this draft who are, um, who are potentially impact players. Um, you know, it, and the the challenging part for the Saints is, is they have a, a – kind of very specific prototype that they look at. Uh, you know, so guys like you know, Nolan Smith, uh, the Georgia kid who blew up yep. at the combine, you know, probably not going to fit the Saints prototype, right? Because they, they look for big, strong defensive ends who are going to hold the edge in the run game as well. Yeah, Cam Jordan is like their prototype, 6'4", 280. Um, so yeah, it kind of limits what they can do there. And yeah, they have the same sort of uh, prototypes for their defensive interior, and it makes... Uh, it, it, they kind of obviously are, are a match for a guy like Pittsburgh's Kalijah Kansi, but it, they hold these numbers very, very, I mean, they're really important to the Saints, right? So I, I don't know if I could actually picture them taking a defensive tackle who's six feet tall and 280 pounds. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes you got to be like, okay, we're picking number 29 and this is the guy who's available and he has this great skill set um, that, you know, we could, figure out a way to take advantage of, even though it doesn't fit our, our normal numbers. Um, so I, look, I, I think, um, you know, uh, Keon White, the Georgia Tech kid, I think, I'm, you know, I, I really like his game. Uh, Kalaja Kansi, I think, is going to be there, uh, you know, toward the back end of the first round. I think he can be an impact defensive lineman. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, the drafts kind of late risers here is LSU's B.J. Ojolari. Um, you know, his brother is, has has played at a pretty high level uh, with the the Giants. And, you know, I think BJ might be an even better prospect than Aziz was. Um, you know, there's guys, I think, who are, who are going to be 
you can get impact pass rushers um, later in the draft. It's just they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to fit all the, the the toolboxes or you know toolbox checklists right. like you know Will Anderson will at number two or wherever he's picked. You know, last thing I have for you is is at least if you're a Saints fan, and we talked about this with Rick a little while ago, on paper. And, you know, we'll find out what the Panthers are going to do. Is it Stroud? Is it Young? Whatever the case may be. Uh, on paper, the Saints have by far and away the best quarterback in the division in a quarterback-driven league. So if you're looking at a division and you're not looking around at a bunch of other guys in your division that, that are necessarily standout or big stars, you know, I have Joe Burrow in your division, you know, I have Josh Allen, you know, those kinds of guys. That's something to hang your hat on, I would think, in New Orleans. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's why they made it such a priority to go out and get a quarterback. I mean, look, that should always be a priority, right? But they see um, they see an opening here. They saw it last year, too, right? Because, I mean, you got to remember that last year, um, you know, before the season started, when they're going into free agency, Tom Brady retired at that point. So they're like, ah, it's, the NFC South is wide open. And, you know, it, they ended up being right about that. They just overestimated how good their own team was. And yeah, they, they weren't prepared for a pretty brutal rash of injuries again. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, they got to be feeling great about where they're at right now, but I don't think they can, they can just rest on that because I, I really do think the rest of the NFC South is, you know, maybe with the exception of Tampa Bay, which is kind of, it looks like doing a soft rebuild here. Um, yeah. I, I think the Falcons and the, and the Panthers have had really strong off seasons. And if they nail this draft, yeah, they could be pretty good in a year or two, maybe even this year. Um, you know, Falcons were competitive last year with you know, terrible quarterback play. So, you know, I, I don't think they can just they can just bank on on you know being the favorite and going out and getting it done just because they have Derek Carr. Like they really have to hit this draft. They got to set themselves up with good young players for the next four or five years because you know obviously they're perennially in this salary cap problem. So they're off to a really good start, but they really need to they need to finish strong here. Well, it's it's one of the best, if not the best. When the Saints are good, there is nothing like going to a Sunday game uh, down at the Superdome in New Orleans. That place is just unbelievable. The fans are unbelievable. It's the same for college football, too, but it's just great stuff. And, Luke, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. Thank you so much. A happy Good Friday and a happy Easter to you and your family. My pleasure. Thanks, Tom, and uh, same to you and yours. Thank you very much. Luke Johnson, kind enough to join us from down in New Orleans. All right, on paper, boys. We've heard from Rick. Um, we've heard from everybody now in that division, if I'm not mistaken, Casey McAllister. If you had to pick a team right now to win the NFC South, you're on the big Atlanta bandwagon, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm still on that wagon, even after listening to everyone. I think there's just for me the saints in tampa are on the downswing they're on the downtrend i think they uh the saints in particular i think their greatest strength was honestly their defense and the fact that they're losing some guys they are returning some but they're gonna just be like if they don't get it done this year obviously they're gonna be in a really bad bad shape next year because they they've got some cap issues that they got to figure out but i I really love what Atlanta's done so far. I mean, I think they're in a really good spot. They just need one more player. And they're at a, they're in number eight or number nine pick in the draft. I think they can get a guy that will be an impact player 
uh, top of either, you know, the cornerback position or the edge rushers. Like, they'll get somebody that's definitely valuable there. Um, and I, I think they they have a the, – that division is wide open right now, even with Derek Carr signing with the – I think uh, – I think that's the the team I'm going with. Reed, I like the I like the Saints. I like Derek Carr. I think that quarterback goes a long way. I'm with you there, brother. In this league, I mean, if you got a good coach and a good quarterback, it's it's honestly tough to lose in this league. But I'm a believer in Derek Carr. I thought he won some games with the Raiders. Um, obviously, it just kind of got stale there over in Las Vegas. But I'm a believer in Derek Carr. I think New Orleans wins wins the division pretty easily. Well, I just don't know, and I could be totally wrong, and we're going to shift gears to baseball here in a second. I just have a hard time, and I hope because I love the kid. We've talked about him before. I love Desmond Ritter. I love what he's all about. I love the way he conducts himself, the way he played on the field at UC. Came on, got some starts at the end of last year. was okay, but, I mean, it was his first time in the league at the pro game. I just don't know. You might be able to win that division, maybe, with a rookie quarterback. Obviously, the other teams in the division are going to do it, except right. for New Orleans. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. I can correct myself. Baker's not a, a rookie. So, you got Carr, Mayfield, two rookies. Do you, do you buy Baker? Are you? I like the guy. You like Baker? I like him. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's great. But... You just heard Rick talk a little while ago. Yeah. He has four years in Cleveland, four different offensive coordinators, mm -hmm. three or four different head coaches. Um, you know, he's been now with four different teams in the last year. Uh, I think that, that if you surround him with the right pieces, I think he can be a rock-solid quarterback who can make some plays with his arm and make some plays with his legs and make some play with his fire. I think the guy has some good things about him. Joe Burrow, no. Josh Allen, no. Deshaun, no. But I think he's better than, than, than he gets credit for. When you have a guy that is not as physically gifted as other players in the league, as Baker Mayfield is, he's right. not as physically talented as Josh right. Allen or, or some of these other quarterbacks, you want them to have that mm, attitude, right? You want them to have that bulldog in them. No doubt. And Baker Mayfield has that. He's got it. But with his attitude, there's the there's the cons, right? You, you, you live or die by this sore that is Baker Mayfield's attitude. He's going to give you it all out. He's going to put it all out there. He's going he's gonna to talk a little trash. But at the same time, there's a lot of drama that comes with Baker Mayfield. Just always will be. There's a reason that there's there's always this shroud of drama there was. Well, you're right, but I will happen. always go back and say, and it gets back to what you just said. I look around the National Football League, and I see guys that have been blessed with 10 times more of the physical ability. Right. Right? And sure. there are a lot of them that a lot of people like to say, oh, look at the great stuff. And look, if I watch Justin Herbert play every single game, maybe I would feel different. I don't watch him play every single game. But all I know is... He's been blessed with every physical gift in the world. Now, they had some injuries on the offensive line, especially on defense. They were ravaged on defense. But last year was the first time he got his team to the playoffs. Yeah. They had a 30-point lead in the first half. Right. And they blow the game because they cannot get a first down. Mm. Right? Right. I mean, Baker has won a division, and Baker's won a playoff game. Yeah. So, and that's with a, one of the worst franchises in sports. 
Pace these guys. Cleveland. Ew. Disgusting. They stink, Tom. They don't stink. They stink. They, they stink. have stuck, but they don't stink. Question is, do the Reds stink? No. They don't stink. They don't stink. I feel like we're going to hear from yeah, a guy yeah. who doesn't so think they stink. So you guys are saying the Reds don't stink. I think they stink. They always will stink because they're the Reds. No. This ain't 1990 anymore, Tom. <laughs> no kidding. Nick Kirby wasn't even born in 1990. He was around. He wasn't around. Kirby, were you around in 90 or do I stand? Uh, you're three years old? Yes, sir. Three years old. Remember it vividly. <laughs> Look at all that. That, that. I mean, you got a shrine down there. I, I mean, that is a big league man cave setup down there. You got set up. Well, I'm up in the uh, Cleveland area, so I got to try to bring Cincinnati with me. Uh, so, yeah, got the little setup. Got a little renovation we're doing. Had a little water damage, so the floor's a little rough, but uh, we're, we're rocking and rolling. Well, man, I'm sorry to hear that. That is always a uh, nightmare. Uh, you know, I tell these guys all the time, Nick. I tell them all the time, and, and they argue with me, and, and I've said it for now. This show is about eight months old. Some of the nicest suburbs of any city in the United States of America are in Cleveland, Ohio. Am I right or wrong? Please, Nick, tell me. Am I right or wrong? Uh, you're right. Honestly, Cincinnati and Cleveland are so similar. Like people love to make it out to be this big thing, one or the other. But uh, I know you mentioned before Chagrin Falls. That really is a really lovely area. I've uh, done some work down there, so yeah. All right, let's get to the Red Legs, Nick. Um, through five games, I think it's safe to say. You correct me if I'm wrong. Through five games, Pirates and the Cubs, neither one of whom are very good. But most people don't think the Reds are very good. So you play them. You play them. You win three out of your first five, at least for the first five games of the year. Uh, it's certainly a lot better than what a lot of people might be expecting, even after only five games of the season, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think overall played pretty well. Um, guys that you're counting on, like Jonathan India, have got off to really good starts to the year. Uh, Graham Ashcraft looked about as good as you possibly could. And then, uh, you know, in that Cubs series, you split the the Sessa Overton games. Which, if the Reds can do that throughout the early part of yep. this year, I think things will be going pretty well. Um, listen, this is always a hotly debated topic in any town. It doesn't matter if you are with the New York Mets who are spending a gazillion dollars and they've had a guy that's been a major league manager for 25 years in Buck Showalter, or whether you're talking about a guy in David Bell here in Cincinnati who has not uh, necessarily been given a ton of talent. There are a couple of those teams where I felt he should have done better with, but that's just my own opinion. Um, are, are, are we, after five years, four years, able to make any kind of decision or draw any kind of conclusions about what kind of manager David Bell is? Uh, in terms of if he's a good or bad manager, I would say probably it's very inconclusive at this point. Uh, I do feel like uh, the team last year probably underachieved, but I feel like the year before, the team that won 83 games, that was a massive overachievement. And I know they had the very disappointing September, but that team, no one was thinking the Reds would have won 83 games in 2021. And so uh, I think it's really going to be how does David Bell uh, – manage all this new talent that the Reds have coming up. And I think that will define how good or, or how bad of a manager David Bell is. 
Do you think that they're going to allow him? I mean, if everything ends up going the way people think it will, and there's no guarantee of that. Nobody thought they probably would win three out of their first five games. And, you know, do you think that he will be around uh, to, to watch this come to fruition with all those young players eventually getting to the big leagues, if not necessarily by halfway through this year, then maybe even into next year? Uh, I would say he's got as good of a chance of, of any manager to see a rebuild all the way through. Uh, was able to survive the September collapse in 2021. Uh, last year, Red Star 3-22. and 22. He would have been a very easy scapegoat for all of the negative energy and everything that was going on around the Reds. So uh, at this point, I, I would think that, that they're going to give him a, a chance to, to see this all the way through because if you weren't, why would you not have made the move already would be kind of how I would look at it. Are right, you look at the state of the franchise and the players that are on the field right now, and we know that, that Votto will be coming back here very, very soon, uh, if not on this current road trip, maybe when they return home the next time. We'll wait and see. Um, Nick Senzel is still out there. Uh, he's on rehab. Uh, the bullpen will certainly change. But let's stay with the position players. As you look at the guys that are playing regularly now, who will we see of the young players if there's any particular order? And I know circumstances can sometimes dictate that. If you get a shortstop that's hurt, you got to bring up a shortstop. But as you move forward, by the time this franchise hits July of this summer or August of this summer, what guys are in the minor leagues right now do you think are playing regularly for the big league club? I would say Matt McLean is the first guy you're going to see. Uh, he's number one healthy right now. Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand are not. And Matt McLean is off to just a tremendous start. At Louisville hit a home run last night. Uh, I think Matt McLean is really just an injury away from the big leagues probably at this point. Um, right now, the Reds don't have a spot necessarily to play for him. I should know it was weird with the expectations of this team. But you have uh, uh, Spencer Steer at third base, which you want to get some a good run and see what, what he looks like. You have Jose Barrero at shortstop and you have Jonathan Indy at second base. I think I just want to see what they have out of each of those three guys. India may be more just how well he can improve defensively uh, right. than anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Matt McLean is close. I, I think that as long as Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand are able to get health, healthy relatively quickly, I think we will see probably both of those guys at the big leagues here at some point this year. I think the Reds want to see, you know, what they have out of those guys. And, and I think they should be somewhat aggressive with them. Ellie De La Cruz is the one guy that uh, you can't get wrong when you call him up. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, good reasons to call him Burley or also to kind of hold him down. Uh, but he's the one guy that you really, really have to get right. And I tell you what, when that guy comes up, he's going to have probably more fa fanfare than even like Jay Bruce had when he came up back in 2008 and he's the kind of player that really just from so many uh, different aspects can completely change the entire look of the Cincinnati Reds uh, and I know Tom I talked with uh, your pal uh, uh, Chris Welsh on, on the podcast and he yeah. gave the highest praise of Ellie De La Cruz and Chris isn't one of those guys that just throws that kind of stuff out there for prospects um, said he, he thought he was the best prospect since Eric Davis for the Reds. Well, it's interesting he brings up Eric Davis because in many ways, as you just pointed out, Nick, Eric Davis did change the way we looked at the Reds team. They had some other talented players, make no mistake about it. When they brought him to the big leagues, they still had some veteran guys that were hanging on and Dave Parker and Buddy Bell and some of those guys. But then they had this whole fleet of young players, much like they have now, 
you know, the Larkins and the Stillwells and the O'Neills and the Sabos and all these guys right on down the line. I, I can't forget Tracy Jones. He was part of that whole group too. But, uh, but, but, but Davis was a guy that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, I don't know about Encarnacion Strand getting up to the big leagues and being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You could see De La Cruz being that guy because of the way he can impact a game. I love the way you put it because I've often wondered, and I'm curious what you hear about De La Cruz from a maturity standpoint. It used to make me crazy. When I would hear general managers say in private conversations or even publicly to the media in that matter, you know, you don't want to bring him up and have the guy fail. You know, then all of a sudden mentally you might lose him. This is where, in my opinion, you have to know the kid. You better know him better than the other teams know your kids, right? Is he the kind of guy? You know, he grew up poor. He grew up having to earn everything. Okay, if he fails, he's an ultimate grinder. He's going to continue going, and it's not going to beat him down mentally. How do you – what do you hear about his makeup? And maybe we just don't know a lot yet because he's so young. Well, I know from, from multiple people that cover the Reds in spring training, they said he looked like the best player out there. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess from that standpoint, uh, he definitely fits the part to this point. Uh, I've heard nothing but positive things about him. I've never heard a, a anyone say a bad word about him, about his work ethic or anything like that. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz, the thing that stands out to me from from watching now, Grant, I've only seen him play in person one time and you know watch some games on on MILB TV, but he's just such an incredible athlete. The game looks so easy to him that that's where it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts like when he got to double a last year he hit the ground running it wasn't really that big of a challenge for him so how will ellie de la cruz respond when the game gets tougher for him that that'll be maybe what decides how quickly he can become a a major league contributor and we hope a major league star uh is how will he respond to that and i think that's probably what the reds want to see this year you know maybe there it sounds like they're going to start him at triple a uh, I, I, but I don't know if he's going to struggle. I, I really don't. Just what you've seen out of him and the numbers that he's put up, I, I don't know if he's going to struggle till he gets to the big league. So that's going to be kind of the thing that I think the Reds are, are going to have to weigh more than anything else. All right. Um, I want to ask you a couple, uh, a couple of other things uh, very quickly about uh, the, the team and your expectations. I, I've asked a lot of people this question, including Chris Welsh. But you're a guy who's followed baseball, and you know the game inside and out. What are reasonable expectations, reasonable expectations out of the quote-unquote big three this year? I think you want all three to prove that they're big league starters, uh, which everything to this point says that, but to do one of those three guys when you get into the dog days of August really struggle and, and or, or – to be a Debbie Downer, is it, are there any injuries with either of those three? I think you want those three guys to get through the season healthy. I want you to feel like they are all three legit big league starters. I don't even necessarily think you need any of them to prove that they're stars just yet, but I just think getting to the end of the year, honestly, almost feeling about the same as we felt about them coming into the year because so many times you see those pitchers have that like classic sophomore slump and if they can avoid just that, I think that really sets the Reds up well 
uh, here going into the, the next couple years. All right, I asked you about the uh, position players and what one, two, three guys we might see brought up uh, the quickest. Uh, what about pitchers? You know, you, you, you know, I was watching some of the video earlier today of Andrew Abbott, right? Strikes out the first nine guys in a minor league game last night. Left-hander, and I mean, he looked like – I didn't see the radar gun on it. He looked like, to me, he was letting it fly pretty good last night. Um, starting rotation, I know that Overton, they're going to give the chance. I know that Sessa uh, is capable of doing some good things. But if, if there were to be one or two names to look out for that could be the first guys on deck – to, to jump into that starting rotation. Well, Luke Weaver, I know he's kind of on like a rehab assignment right now. I think the Reds paid $2 million for him. So they're obviously, I would assume, going to give him a, a, a decent chance this year to, to grab one of the rotation spots. He's had some good numbers uh, over the last couple of years, kind of some, some mixed results at times, dealt with a ton of injuries. So the biggest question for him probably is just, can he actually stay healthy? Uh, and then, I mean, you have like some other filler guys like Chase Anderson that's probably ready to go at AAA. Obviously, you'd love to see Brandon Williamson, who's at AAA. He actually starts tonight for the Louisville Bats. You'd love to see him figure it out. This guy was a top 100 prospect. Has been a disappointment so far since uh, he was part of the uh, uh, the Jesse Winker AU Ingenio Suarez trade. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you have Andrew Abbott and Connor Phillips at AA that, that you're hoping either either one of those guys can maybe take that leap up to the big leagues here by the end of the year and uh, at least kind of give you some some better options uh, uh, going into to next season. Chase Petty's a guy that, that uh, we like as well, but I think he's still quite a ways away. I think I believe he's going to start the year for, for Dayton, and he's actually on the IL right now. So uh, I wouldn't expect him this year, but he's a guy that uh, has a ton of upside for the Reds. Um, well, last guy I want to last uh, player I want to ask you about, uh, and I made the comment, look, and it's nothing against a kid because by all accounts, he is just an awesome kid. He's a physical specimen. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it that five games is a, you know, the, the quote unquote small sample size. But you and I both know the Cleveland Guardians are not in the business of drafting guys in the first round and letting them walk out the door. I mean, they have a very low payroll. So you know where I'm going here with Benson. Um, how much rope are they going to give Benson? I would say he's he's probably running out of it. I would say when when Joey Votto comes back, which who knows if Joey Votto will be back this weekend or or whatnot. The Reds have been kind of hush hush about that. Yeah. I think they're just they just want you know Votto to tell them when he's ready, pretty much. Uh, I would say Benson's probably the odd man out, and then Vossler will actually kind of switch to the role that he was supposed to be on uh, on the opening day roster. The reason Vossler made the opening day roster is because he can play third base, second base, left field, right field. He wasn't just like the first baseman. Uh, it was his position flexibility that I think attracted him uh, to, to make the roster more than anything. So I would imagine he kind of just gets moved around and they keep him in the lineup as, as long as he can, you know, continue to hit and produce. Uh, Benson, he's a guy that, that, that has a high strikeout rate. So I, I don't want to make too much out of, uh, you know, a really small sample with him. Obviously he's looked really, really rough at the plate, but strikeouts are just part of his game. Uh, you, you saw the talent offensively in spring training, and we've even seen the talent defensively in, in his base running ability uh, uh, here in the, the big leagues uh, through the first five games. I think he's probably a guy that, that just is going to have to go down to triple a, you know, work on things, take a, take a deep breath, 
Uh, but but you're you're right, Tom. The Guardians don't miss on a lot of trades. They have won a lot of trades and made a lot of other GMs look foolish over the last couple of years. And the Reds didn't give up a ton for Benson, so it's not it's not like if if Benson turns out to be uh, you know just a four A 4A type player, uh, it's not like the Reds you know really gave up a ton. Uh, but but I do like his upside, and, and I'm interested to see maybe what adjustments he can make. One more quick point on Benson. And I made this the other day on 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 our Chatterbox Red show. Maybe Will Benson can have the same type of season that TJ Friedel had last year. Remember TJ Friedel when he got the chance in April, he was really really uh, bad at the plate, really struggled. Red sent him down to AAA. He worked on his swing, made some adjustments, and ever since TJ Friedel has come back, he's been one of the best players the Reds have had. Uh, so you kind of hope maybe Benson can go through that same same type of mold this season. Uh, assuming he doesn't pick it up. I believe he's batting the eighth today, so he'll get a chance. All right, last thing I want to ask you about, Nick, and I don't know how fo- how closely – I know you follow everything that, that, that's baseball, but it, I don't know how closely you follow the news that came out even today about this lawsuit now that Major League Baseball has filed along with a couple of teams uh, against a parent company of Bally Sports. Uh, we know that they uh, filed for bankruptcy, Diamond Sports, uh, and they have already missed out on payments – uh, their rights fees payments to some of the, 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 the clubs that they owe money to. And now there are a couple of more where, you know, they, they, they owe money. The Reds are in that group in the next sort of wave. Um, if, if they can't get the money from these guys, what is going to be? I know Major League Baseball likes to say, oh, no, we got it all covered. Okay, but what you don't have covered is the money. You might have covered the telecast of the games. But you don't have the 30 million or the 40 million or the Indians uh, are due 55 million, if you believe reports, that Bally's can't pay. Well, the Reds are somewhere in between that 40 and 50, we think. What is the impact on this club and this franchise if all of a sudden that money is not there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that probably is one of the major contributors to why the Reds have been maybe even more stingy than than in past years with with their free agent contracts. Is they want to see how the the dust settles with all of this. Uh, I think in the long run, this is going to be good. It's going to be kind of ugly this year, uh, but I think in the long run, this is going to give Major League Baseball, from everything I've read, and teams the ability to stream their games as its own standalone service. So. A lot of teams are doing this, like the Red Sox and Yankees, for about 20 bucks a month. You can just pull up your Nessin or your Yes app, watch the games, and that's the only thing you need. And I cannot tell you how many times Reds fans reach out to me and go, I have no way of watching the team. You know, it's not on YouTube TV or whatever. Uh, so I think in the long run, that'll be great for baseball. It, it'll be interesting to see how much revenue they can they can get from that. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter because they weren't going to keep getting the same revenue they were getting from Bally. Though the Reds contract, I would think went through 2032. So, I mean, yeah, that money would have been nice, but they weren't going to get that same kind of money in 2023 and beyond. This is the way that that television and, and people are consuming baseball is going. So it's really, it's adapt or die. And I think it'll be good for Reds fans. Once we get past once, I think the sooner bat the red sooner, the Reds and Major League Baseball can cut ties with Bally. And it kind of sounds reading between the lines like Major League Baseball is trying to almost force the hand and get out of those contracts. They just want to be able to, to have the rights. Uh, I think it'll be really great for Reds fans, and I think it'll be good for um, maybe you get some more eyeballs on the Reds of people that, that wouldn't uh, uh, be watching otherwise.
Right. I, I think you're spot on. I, I think that's true with baseball as a whole. I think more people in your generation that if they're a Reds fan, Yankees fan, Padres fan, doesn't matter. If they can just push that button on their phone and all of a sudden the game is up uh, and they're hanging out at their, you know, wherever they are and they can watch a game, it's much better than the current situation is now. Well, Nick, um, where can everybody find you? We know we're lucky to have you and blessed to have you here on uh, Chatterback Sports. But what about day in and day out? Where can people find out what you got going on? Well, if you want to uh, dive into the dark webs of uh, Twitter, I'm at Nicholas P. Kirby, tweeting all the time about the Reds, and then Chatterbox Reds uh, do live shows after every game and, and podcasts available uh, the morning uh, after as well. Had uh, Bryce Spalding did a special episode in this morning's feed. We talked about uh, the Reds minor league season. The, the Dragons and Lookouts got underway last night. I actually uh, was at a, a Dayton's a debut because they were playing right down the road up here at Lake County, uh, about 20 minutes away from me. So I got to see that uh, last night. Well, Nick, thanks so much for your time today, man. We really appreciate it. Happy Easter to you and your family. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. All right, buddy. Nick Kirby, kind enough to see join us. Big part of Chatterbox Sports, dialed in all the time. He'll have a show today right after the yep. game. Yep. Him and Trace will we'll go live right after the game, right here on our YouTube channel. It's a better option than extra innings. Yeah, much better. It's a better option. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you break it all down, and you're not beholden to anybody. Yeah. You don't, you know like Casey it. is. We'll have uh, two streams on our YouTube later. We'll have that, and then we'll also have the, the Miami Redhawks softball team playing the Buffalo Bulls right here on YouTube. What kind of yeah. team does Miami have in softball and baseball? Their baseball team is uh, – I hear they're awful. Yeah, they're not very good. They're like six, six or seven and twenty-three or something like yeah, that. They're not the Bobcats. Okay, what about the softball team? Softball team has won the MAC three consecutive yes, years. Yes, I knew they had a good program. Twenty nineteen didn't play in twenty twenty, and then they made the NCAA tournament the last two years. They're a little bit on the downturn this year, but they're still they they'll make the conference tournament and they should they should win the conference tournament. They'll be favored to win the conference. Tournament. They're like halfway through their conference play. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they still, still pretty good. Time. They uh next week on Chatterbox, uh they welcome the number one team in the country, Oklahoma softball, wow. coming to town, coming up. Sooners. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Be a lot of fun. Well, the weather is making the turn starting today. We're hoping for the long haul. Have you seen that ten day forecast? Looks mighty good. Seventies, eighties. Yes. Sunshine yes. is coming out right now on this Good Friday, beautiful Easter weekend. Very thankful for that. Uh, coming up here in a few minutes, we have Jake Asman from the uh, Wheelhouse on ESPN in Houston talking about the Texans. Now, you talk about a team with a lot going on. Mm. A lot of people here, I mean, around here, we, we, we don't care about the Texans. I mean, you know, who, why would we? But if there was a team out there that you're looking at and that has undergone so many changes, starting with a head coach, they have a second pick in the draft, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, they got a lot going on down there in Houston, so we're going to talk about them. So, Ham and Eggers, uh, you guys take it away before we welcome Jake to the program here in a matter of moments. Gentlemen. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Uh, Casey, we haven't directly talked about the Bengals today. But we have talked about the National Football League, and I don't know if you know this about the Bengals. They play in the National Football League, and when we talk about the Bengals, we are inclined to tell you that that information is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world. 
With a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data centers, supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. I was supposed to give that to you. I'm new here. Uh, visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Casey. Yep. Today is Good Friday. Um, about 2,000, well, 1,990 years ago, uh, Jesus died. So. Um, that's what we're celebrating, I guess, celebrating today, morning today. And then Sunday will be Easter. Um, I had to tell someone recently, they're like, why is Easter a bigger holiday than Christmas? And I, it's plain simple. Every, every single person that has ever been here has been born. Only one person to our knowledge has come back from the dead. You got any Easter plans? Um... As of right now, every every family is doing it the day before. Oh, so, so. and we've got a double header on Saturday. So. All right, I'll see. I'll see if I can I can scrounge up a producer last minute. I didn't know that. You should no, let me know no, that. No, you should no, let me know that. So. I mean, I'm not promising anything. No, I I was I was fully prepared to to work Saturday. I will try to do probably something though Sunday. Go see my family. Go see Alex's family for a little bit. You you a churchgoer? I used to go to church quite a bit. Um, haven't been in a while. Haven't been in a while. But you hate God now or what? No, no, <laughs> no. no um, it, you gonna put any Easter? You, you you put any like Easter baskets for Alex or anything like that out? No. Their family is super big into doing the the, the gift baskets and like peeps they, and yeah, they do like. They hold up that tradition very well. My family was never really big into that. Never really big into that. Yeah, we, we always got a candy, just a little basket of candy when we were growing up, and I've carried that on into my family. You know, just trying to be a good husband, you know. Put out that little Easter basket, get, get some Reese's eggs and some peeps. Just a, just a little surprise. Let them know that the Easter bunny has, has come around. So that's what I've got planned for Sunday. Got to go to Mass up right down the street, and then got to go to two family, uh, two family events. But... Yeah, should be a fun little weekend. What did you do on your day off yesterday? You know, so I'm sitting in bed watching the show as it's getting ready to pop on. Stuff's good. And, you know, I watched a bit of the show and was trying to help the beginning of the show. Yeah, and then, yeah, uh, helped us out. Um, after that, though, I started doing some, some cleaning up around the house. I got some things chores. taken care of. Yeah, some chores. I... Uh, Obviously, got my hair cut and got my you look good. My beer shaped. And was that was that your mom that that tuned in to say you had a nice looking haircut? Yeah, she did. That was nice. That was very nice. Was very nice of her. I I agree. It looks great. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I'm only really trying to impress uh, our our Viking friend, our our uh, Leif Erikson. That. But yeah, I, I think I did I a good job. I think he said something about it in the chat. I'm not quite sure. No, I said I said that you you, you look almost uh, you look a little Nordic. You look you look, look Nordic. Yeah, you look you look like you got look. What, what's he always say? What's Lee always say? You got Viking blood. Viking blood. You got Viking blood, Casey. Wow. Yes, you look you look great. I, I mean, I know you're a little Irish, right, McAllister? That's Irish. Yeah. You had your holiday. Why why don't Germans get any holidays? Mouse. We don't. We just made the world go to go to war twice, so we don't we don't get it we don't get a day to celebrate. It's bull crap. Doesn't seem like a fair trade. Not at all. Mm. Oh well. 
Casey is the leader of multitasking. Who else? We, we, we've got one more. we got a uh, Jake. Jake Asman coming up. I'm going to talk about the Texans. Uh, Casey has has a coach that is getting fired ever, you know, screwed over an organization as badly as Lovey Smith did to the Texans, where what goes for two final game of the year to win. They win, and they lose the first overall pick because of it. Literally gained nothing. Just just a parting saying, I'll, I'll see you later. Yeah, uh, have fun I with mean, the second overall pick. What a what a middle finger, honestly. He knew he was getting canned. He's like, you know what? I still got control of this team for one more play. Let's go for two. Let's win this thing right here and now. Organization. But, but, but what's his option? Well, I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to help out the organization, you don't go for the win there because you gain nothing. You gain nothing. You honestly probably don't even go to score the touchdown. You probably just. No, but you're saying if he kicks the extra point and ties the game. Yeah. Right? And they go to overtime. Yeah. Okay, well then, based on what you guys are saying, if I hear you right, if you took this another step further. So that would mean, in theory, if you're saying that he went for two and he's going for the win, right? Yeah. Okay. As opposed to playing for the tie and going into overtime. Then if he kicks a point after and then he just decides to tell his team, we're going to run the ball three times in a row and not try to win. What yeah. would happen to him then? Well, I mean, he got canned regardless. Well, I understand that. I'm just, I'm just saying. What do you want the guy to do? He's I'm a competitive not, guy. I'm, He's got players to look in the eye. Sure, right. We're right. going to ask Jake about this. I, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't care either way. I'm, I'm happy. I would do the same thing, right? You know you're probably going to get fired. Just go ahead and say, you know what? I'm winning this ball game. That's what I do. I, I compete. But – in hindsight, it, it hurt the franchise quite a bit. So, it's so okay, you're bad mouthing a guy. Is that? Do I hear no, you? Neither right? of us were no, bad mouthing no. him. We're just saying, has there ever been a situation where the guy knew he was on his last last game, last play? He's like, you know what? Let's go. All right, let's ask Jake about this because he follows the Texans all the time. Jake Asman, host of the Wheelhouse on ESPN down in Houston. Jake, thanks for the time uh, this morning. Great to have you with us, and a uh, happy Easter weekend to you and yours. Let me ask you now. Let's, let, these guys brought this up. The Lovey Smith deal, going for two, going for the win. What are your thoughts on that thing? I don't have a problem oh my God. with that. Maybe you do. It, look, I have no problem with what Lovey Smith did trying to win the game. The man knew he was getting fired. What does he care if the Texans end up with the first overall pick? The biggest issue I've had with that, and I've been hammering the Texans for for months on our radio show down here, is why the heck did you allow Brandon Cooks to play in this game? Why did you allow Davis Mills to start this game? You look at what the Bears did. They're playing Nathan Peterman at the end of the year. They're shutting down Justin Fields. And it was obvious they did everything in their power within the rules to go out there and lose to get the number one pick. You can't ask players to lose on purpose. You can't ask coaches who aren't going to be back to lose on purpose. But Cal McNair, the owner of the Texans, and Nick Casario, the general manager of the team, should have manipulated the roster in a way that set the Texans up to lose that last game. Because now they're sitting here, and if they love Bryce Young, well, guess what? There's a chance you might not get the guy, and you're not getting the quarterback you wanted all along. So the biggest issue, you know, just mentioning some of the players, everyone knew Brandon Cooks wanted out. He requested a trade in the middle of the year. He quit on the team. They took away his captaincy in the middle of the season over what happened in the locker room. So the fact that he was even out there, Tom, the last game of the season is absolutely absurd, and it obviously backfired against the Texans. 
All right, now, look, I, I've known Lovey Smith a long time. I think he's a good man. You know, everybody will make a decision on whether or not he's a good head coach or not. Move on. Okay, and that's what the organization has done. It seems to me here, you tell me you're down there, I'm not. You bring in a guy like D'Amico Ryans, okay, who uh, there isn't a whole lot of uh, no-nonsense BS stuff going on around there. And the way he played going back to his great days as a Texan, I think he's still the all-time leading tackler in Texans history, if I'm not mistaken. Talk about that move in and of itself of bringing in D'Amico Ryans as a head coach. Well, that move really brought this fan base together in a positive way for the first time in years you look at the texans the last couple of years they've been the worst team in the nfl the deshaun watson situation destroyed this franchise where you had a franchise quarterback and then you end up having to trade him after he sits out for a year because you couldn't trade him because of an ongoing legal situation so the lovey smith hire was the first hire or not the lovey smith hire excuse me the the firing of lovey smith and then subsequently hiring D'Amico Ryans was the first move the Texans have made that was universally praised by this fan base. They loved the guy as a player. He was obviously one of the top candidates. All five of the teams with openings in the NFL either requested or spoke with D'Amico Ryan. So the fact that he wanted to come home, he wanted to come back to Houston, was a big deal down here in Houston. Let's talk about, uh, we ask the questions all the time, where you been, where are you now, where are you going? Okay, we know where they've been. They don't have Lovey Smith anymore. They now have a new head coach. They now have a, a, a whole kind of good vibe about the franchise, as you just said, for the first time in a while. Before we get to the draft, what is the state of this team on the field right now and the moves that have been made up until this point in time, not only with players we know about Ryan's, but as far as strictly what kind of team right now would you say the Houston Tech, are they better than they were at the end of last year? Yeah, they're definitely better, but, you know, I, I would caution Texans fans if you're expecting, you know, a Jaguars-like turnaround or, you know, a Giants-like turnaround with Brian Dable coming in year one and going to the playoffs. I, I don't find that to be realistic with a rookie quarterback, likely the pick at number two, but they are certainly a better team. They're going to be better coached with D'Amico Ryans. I mean, the, the players and the coaching staff were not on the same page under Lovey Smith, and they were actually worse this past year under Lovey than they were under David Culley, who won four games during his first and only year as the Texans head coach. So they've added some talent. Dalton Schultz was a nice pickup. Jimmy Ward was a nice signing. You know, to talk about two of their marquee free agent moves. They traded for Shaq Mason to help solidify that offensive line away from the Bucs. So they, they should be better, but this is still a bottom five roster, maybe a bottom three roster in the NFL that's going to have a rookie quarterback going through growing pains with a first-time head coach and a first-time play caller. That's the OC. So this is still a rebuilding team, but there's a lot more hope for this fan base now because of D'Amico, because of the fact you have two first-round picks this year, you got two first-round picks next year. So you, you look at this Texans team, and if Nick Casario is good at his job, this should turn around quick with the amount of resources they have. We don't follow the Texans much up here in Cincinnati. You know, you play a team during the year, they're in, they're out, done. You don't look at them the rest of the year. Um, if there is a strength of this team, you mentioned about the roster, bottom five, maybe bottom three. If, if there is a strength to the roster right now, what would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. I, I would probably say their running game could be a strength. Damian Pierce was a fourth-round pick a season ago, and you know he was well on his way to going over 1,000 yards if they didn't kind of you know shut him down towards the end of the year. He even said that he probably could have played through you know, the injury he was dealing with. It was just to kind of protect him in a lost season. Uh, you add Damian Pierce. They signed Devin Singletary, so that's a decent kind of one-two yep. punch. There's a chance maybe they, they could draft someone once again with one of their 11 picks. So I, I, would, I would say the running back room, 
is is probably a strength for the team. And, and you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, obviously the tackle position for the Texans is rock solid. So if you're bringing in Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Levis Richardson, name your quarterback, you have Laramie Tunsil, who's an all-pro on the left side who they locked up for another three years. And then, you know, you, you look at the right side, and Titus Howard is a draft pick from a couple of years ago that's really blossomed into a solid starting right tackle. So they have pretty good tackles, and they have a pretty good running back room, which is not a terrible place to start for a rookie quarterback. Well, not at all, especially when you're talking about the offensive line, because Lord knows here in Cincinnati, I mean, Burrow's been killed by and large, and they've addressed the offensive line. It didn't work out. We'll see how it plays out now with Orlando Brown coming in. But, um, all right, let's get to the, the, the three of the first 33 picks in the draft, right? Got, you got the, the, the second pick behind Carolina. Uh, the draft pick getting in the uh, Deshaun Watson deal from Cleveland with number 12. And then the second pick in the second round. Um, maybe it changes, Jake, by the hour. How do you think the top two play out? If I had to decide right now, I'd say Bryce Young is probably going number one that just kind of is the feeling right now the betting odds started to shift I think in you know in reaction to some of the comments made Chris Mortensen said on ESPN the other day that he's hearing it's going to be Bryce Young going one and when Mort usually says something he's usually right so I think that had maybe a lot to do with it I, I think Young goes one and you know I, I think most Texans fans would prefer CJ Stroud at two but you know I, I want to caution all football fans out there Nick Casario doesn't always do what you think he's going to do it. You know, case being a year ago, he chose Derek Stingley Jr. over Sauce Gardner, right? He went to the Jets with that fourth pick right after. So I I've heard from people I trust that they really like Will Levis. Is that enough to take him second overall? I guess we're going to find out. But, you know, if I had to make a pick right now, I'd say C.J. Stroud. But don't rule out Will Levis going second overall. To well, I, I got to tell you, you know, we're right in between those two programs right here in Cincinnati. I mean, geographically speaking, you know, you're 90 minutes up the road from Ohio State. You're 90 minutes away, less than that, really, down to Lexington, Kentucky. Uh I tell you what, that's a better man than me if somebody thinks Will Levis is better than C.J. Stroud. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, a better man wrong. than me, brother, I got to tell you. Uh, to me, and, and, and look, I don't have a crystal ball, uh, and, and maybe Levis turns out to be the next fill-in-the-blank. I have no idea on his way to the Hall of Fame, and, and Stroud stinks it up. I don't know. But, boy, I'd have a hard time finding somebody who would want to pick Levis ahead of C.J. Stroud. Yeah, look, you're 100% right, and you know, trust me, we are already getting the phone calls from Texans fans every day that are that are worried about this. Uh, you know, one of my coworkers is Lance Zerline, who works for NFL.com and, and the NFL Network. He does our morning show on ESPN Houston, and last year, he correctly mocked both Texans picks um, in, in the draft, and he just put out his most recent mock, and it was very curious. He had the Texans trading up to take Will Levis seventh overall because they're going with a defensive player at two because Lance apparently has heard that, hey, maybe the Texans aren't actually that high on C.J. Stroud. And that's kind of like the doomsday scenario for this fan base. You know, this fan base wants Bryce Young, but they will certainly take Stroud. You start talking about Will Levis, and it's going to be a rough couple of months till we actually see what this guy looks like on the field. All right, well, okay, so those are the top two guys. Uh, but in terms of what they want, what they need, we know they need a lot, they want a lot. But with that second round or, or the second pick in the first round you get from Cleveland with number 12, what are they looking at there? You know, it's a great question because they, they have a lot of holes, obviously. When you're one of the worst teams in the league, you know, it, it's tough to really, you know, take a position that's not a, a big need on this team. You know, I would think they're definitely looking at a pass rusher in that spot at 12. 
you know, I would think for sure a wide receiver could be in play. You know, my favorite receiver in this class is actually one of Stroud's teammates in, in Jackson Smith and yeah. Jigba, the wide receiver, if he's there. So that's the guy I would take. You know, if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave say that guy's better than me, that's good enough for me to take uh, 12th overall. So, you know, I think receivers in play, edge rushers in play. Uh, and it, don't be surprised if Nick Casario looks to trade back. Since he's been the GM, I think he's like in the top three of like most trades during the draft. So they traded back from 13 a year ago to 15 with the Eagles. It wouldn't shock me if they moved back a couple spots and try and accumulate more picks and then go best player available. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, because uh, you were around there when everything went down. Uh, the Bengals obviously play in the same division with the Cleveland Browns. Deshaun Watson had to sit out half the year last year after basically sitting out the entire year the year before that with everything that was going on off the field. For Bengal fans that are wondering what they might see because they probably didn't pay a lot of attention to him playing down in Houston when he was playing so well, do you think he will come back this coming year with a full offseason, all that kind of thing, and be the guy we saw that he was when he was playing in Houston? You know, if you asked me this question, like, before Deshaun came back from suspension, I would have said 100% no question about it. I, I just don't think, you know, he's completely forgotten how to play football. I mean, he looked lost now out there when yes, we did. were watching him play here in Houston. I don't think he's that bad, but I wonder, you know, how much mentally is he affected by everything that's transpired? you know, the last couple of years. Obviously, it's, you know, it's his own doing, but, you know, I, I just wonder about, you know, his, his mental makeup going through something like that and how that could potentially impact his play. I, I think he's going to be better, Tom. There's no way he's as bad as he looked last year, but I, I wonder if we're ever going to see the guy that was well on his way to being considered one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. He was in the top and, 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 and rising quickly, I might add. Yep. But you're right. I mean, last year, and, you know, okay, you chalk it up, and I'm sure they're looking at it that way in Cleveland, chalk it up, all the time missed, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see this coming year. It could make for a fascinating story. The one thing that, that, that Houston fans, and, boy, they, they love their football down in Texas. There's no doubt about it. Um, much like the NFC South, which we were just previewing, the AFC South does not have the juggernaut team. I mean, Tennessee has clearly taken steps back. I don't know what in the world's going on up in Indianapolis. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what they're doing up there. But, you know, if, if, if you're going to get the quarterback, whichever one it is, at number two, there at least has to be some optimism uh, after some pretty dark days down there since the whole Watson thing went down. Yeah, no question. There, there's, there's definitely more optimism than there has been. But I, I'm telling you, if they take Will Levis second overall – that optimism is gone. This fan base will absolutely <laughs> explode in anger if that happens. If they take Stroud, this fan base will be excited. Obviously, Bryce Young is the dream. So, and you know, it's it's kind of funny too, Tom. The reason why I believe some Texans fans really want Bryce Young is because if you could look good with Bill O'Brien being your play caller, then you're going to be a pretty good quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. That's how a lot of fans uh, feel down here. So there's definitely more optimism. And, yeah, the division's not great. Tennessee could take a step back. I, I know Jacksonville, you know, they have Trevor Lawrence emerging. Yeah. They want a playoff game. But, you know, they still only won nine games last year. Let's That's see them right. do it year over year. And, and, and then, obviously, who knows what the Colts are doing. Are they going after Lamar? Are they going to take a quarterback at four? Jim Irsay is kind of a wild card. We have no idea what Shane Steichen is as a head coach. So, if they get it right with their picks, this could turn around quick. I mean, you all know this. Like, the NFL is not built for you to be bad as many years in a row as the Texans have been. So, if they hit on their picks, this is a team, if D'Amico's the guy, the right head coach, they should be able to turn it, turn it around within a couple of years. 
Well, Jake, we can't thank you enough for your uh, time today and, uh, and your expertise here today. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Tom, appreciate you having me. I'm such a big fan of your work. I grew up in New York, and your call of the Jeter flip play is an yeah. iconic moment in my childhood. So this is the first time I've got a chance to talk to you about that. So keep up the great work, and thank you so much for having thank me Thank you, the Jake, show. for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Best of luck down there in Houston with the baseball season. you got one of our favorites down there in Dusty Baker. I mean, no could doubt. there have been a better story than that guy last year finally winning the whole thing? He's the best. He's a great guy, as you know, and uh, we were all ecstatic for him down here. Absolutely. All the best, Jake. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Tom. Now, that guy's on his game, too. Yes, We've got three guys that are very much on their game today. He was great. Yeah. Yankees fan, Jeter Flip play. Brought it up. That's the opener to the show. Yeah. We play it a lot. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, when you were doing those, when I was doing all those, uh, those national games, not only playoff games, you know, and you get that moment and, no, okay. Yeah. Good play. But it's funny how many people – uh, used to watch baseball and, and, and little things that I would see, like I'll never forget the first time I met Aaron Rodgers. This is Aaron Rodgers, right? He's getting it rolling, getting a chance. And I mean, I walk in the door, uh, the Packers facility, and I mean, the guy comes walking right up to me. He's like, dude, I used to watch you every Saturday when I was living in, you know, outside of San Francisco, doing all those Giants games and the A's in the playoffs, and you know, and all that kind of thing. There was a it's interesting because that is a rare cat. There was some uh, thing that was done recently, I can't remember where I read it, where it, it talked about the number of baseball players that follow football regularly yeah, versus the number of football players that follow baseball sure. regularly. Yeah. I mean, here and here. Just, yeah, right. It's Right? right. Is that because of fantasy, you think? Uh, no, I think just football is a bigger uh, – it's a bigger sport. I don't – I think if you're into sports in America, you're a football fan in some capacity. It may not be your number one sport, but you're always – if you like sports, you're going to sit down and you're going to watch college or NFL football. That's not the same case for NBA or, M or the MLB. But speaking of the NFL, there is uh, new news coming out about our Cincinnati Bengals. Which is what? The Cincinnati police have recharged Joe Mixon. Oh, boy. And that charge that was dropped back, which was initially filed in on February 2nd. The, the, the gun situation. The aggravated menacing. They have appeared to have discovered new evidence, which they now feel comfortable in charging Joe Mixon. That is not good. You can pretty much take it to the bank that, that he is D-U-N. Yeah, he's... Yeah. It's becoming more and more likely that you won't see the 2-8. And, and you know what, fellas? This is where I um, – and I think all of us uh, would universally agree. Neither one of you are fathers. I am a father to both a daughter and a son. Um, when Mixon did what he did to that woman at Oklahoma, mm -hmm. which we've all seen the video, um, as a dad – You'd want to go kill that guy. I don't like using that word, but, but when it's your daughter. Sure. And I don't care who it is. Football player, some dude, student, right? Right. Somebody hurts your child, especially a man to your daughter. You want to kill the guy. So when the Bengals drafted him, uh, I think everybody who is a dad to a daughter, you don't have to be a dad to a daughter, but anybody who is a father to a daughter, 
there is a part of you that said, you have got to be shitting me. They just drafted this guy, mm-hmm. okay? But, you know, you try to find it in your heart to exercise, okay, fresh start, second chance, everybody deserves those things. Let's see what happens. I have been the very first guy to stand at the front of a line to say up until about three or four months ago, Joe Mixon has conducted himself top shelf in this town Correct. since the day they drafted him. Right. He has been, you don't read anything bad about him. There's been nothing bad that has happened. He has been a good teammate. He's been a good leader. Uh, from what I can tell, he's been a good citizen. He's well-liked in the locker room. When that story broke, the one you're referring to, not the one out at his house, which they completely realized he's not there, wasn't a part of it, it. but his name was in the news. Mm -hmm. But when that story broke about a gun pulling it on a woman, traffic situation, uh, what was said, what was not said, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute now, you know, what's going on here? Then it looked like, there was a rush to judgment against the Cincinnati police for this even being charged. And his agent coming out saying, this is going to be dropped by tomorrow. Sure enough, dropped by tomorrow. But Joe Dieter's office and uh, now his subsequent replacement, since Dieter's goes to the Supreme Court, said, hey, look, this is still an open investigation. We've got more work to do on this thing. Well, clearly they have rendered a decision as to where they're going next, right? Right, yeah, that's just new evidence have has come out. Um, yeah, it, what happened midday on his way to the, the stadium when they were getting ready to leave. It says it happened at 12, 12.48 p.m., 12.49 p.m. It's, it, it, it's, it's a bad situation. The fact that they're doubling down makes it seem all the more likely that there will be some legal uh, – yeah, some sort of legal penalty slapped on. But you're right, Tom. He's been a he's been an ambassador of the team for the past four years, ever since he became a Bengal. No right. doubt about it. Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, it's just a shame. Just it, a shame. It makes it makes the to be quite honest, as as bad as it sounds, it makes the decision that lays in front of the Bengals a lot easier. Yeah. Right. I mean they they were. Approaching a tough situation. You've got this running back who has been a focal point of your team, has been a leader in the clubhouse since the day he came in. You gave him a shot, and he stuck around because of it. And he's been an ambassador of the team, and he's owed $12 million, which he isn't worth anymore. So they were approaching this very difficult situation where, hey, they could cut him loose and save some money, go get somebody else. And now this comes out, and – it just seems like it makes it easier to make that decision. And I want to make sure I, I, I'm quoting this directly from the Cincinnati police. They said, our decision to recharge Mixon was reached following the discovery of new evidence during the investigative process. To be fair uh, and to be impartial in the judicial process for all parties involved, no investigative uh, details or evidence will be disclosed outside of the official court proceedings. The Bengals have just released... This quote, the club is aware misdemeanor charges have been raised against Joe Mixon. The club is monitoring the situation and will not comment further at this time. This happened at uh, 
in the middle of the day, yeah. the day the Bengals were traveling to Buffalo mm-hmm. for the playoffs uh, in February at 12.49 on January the 21st. Uh, the prosecutor said charges could be refiled and said the woman who made the uh, complaint indicated she would indeed go forward with this case. So that's where it stands. We'll yeah, see what happens. Yeah, I don't know what the, the legal punishment is for, for that misdemeanor. So I'm not even going to speculate on, on what, what no. happened there. But, no. yeah, it's a tough situation. No doubt about it. Before anyone starts freaking out, like if something does happen and he does get, you know, charged with anything, they're not going to cut him until June 1st because it just doesn't make financial sense. That's to, right. You know, they're going to wait until that very last moment. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens coming out of this. It's a shame the situation that he's in and found himself in again. He's back in the, the, the a bad spotlight. Um, puts us, us um, Bengals fans in a peculiar situation again. There was a lot of arguments about Joe Mixon up till this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're just going to have to wait patiently and see what comes of this. We'll, we'll keep you updated here on on the show. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, now all of a sudden, if you're the football team, and let's take the mix and put him aside in this yeah. particular case, right? I mean, you know that those guys are working around the clock down there, whether it's Katie Brown, Troy Blackburn, uh, you know, Zach Taylor, uh, Duke Tobin, all of the coaches, all the scouts, and you're putting together your draft board as you're getting closer and closer and closer. You look at what free agents are out there. Uh, still left, uh, and, and you're putting together a game plan. Now, all of that stuff is fluid. Clearly, somebody picks a guy you thought was going to be there when you get to the draft. Okay, fine. But you're putting together a game plan. And now, all of a sudden, you get this news. Do you now all of a sudden go from, you know, we're looking at um, an edge rusher. We're looking at a right tackle with that 28th pick in the draft. And now all of a sudden you're saying, because they brought in a kid from East Carolina mm-hmm. who, you know, had the most explosive running plays of any running back in college football last year. Uh, people wonder if he's in every down back. Not a big guy, but, man, he's, he's explosive. But that's kind of a niche guy, right? They don't have the down-to-down guy. Now that Pirine's gone, not that necessarily he was a down-to-down guy, but if they don't keep mixing, you have to replace him. And there might be a lot of you that don't like Mixon as a player and the way some of his production dropped off last year. The guy still was not bad. He no. can run it, and he can catch it. He may not block very well, but he can run it, and he can catch it. Well, you know, we were talking recently before the Earth Smith deal, they didn't have a tight end in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if all of a sudden you cut bait with Mixon? Who are you replacing him with? Is Ezekiel Elliott now all of a sudden a guy you're scrambling around to talk to? Does Bijan, I mean, there's no way Bijan Robinson's going to be around with a 28th pick. No. 
But but all of a sudden now has your whole sort of fluid, albeit game plan, changed based on this piece of news. Has to, right? Well, if you've been listening to me and Reed talk for a long time about the running back position, and I don't think many of you are going to be shocked when we say this, but it just doesn't make – it doesn't change anything for me. I, mean, I, my, I agree. I think – they still go with either a tight end or a right tackle with the first pick, maybe BPA defense. But running back, still out of question. Even in the second round to me, I don't even think it makes sense for them to go running back in the second round. I hear a lot of people talk about Jameer Gibbs, and I'm like, you're going to forego a guy like a Cam Taylor Britt at corner? I don't know. I To me – I think you're looking at a day three running back to yep. fill in that yep. need. And there's going to be guys that were a lot like the Joe Mixon mold who maybe not necessarily couldn't pass block or weren't the greatest in uh, in the receiving part of it, which metrics aside, which I, I've advocated for Mixon in that department. But a lot of his game was flats and making people miss, which is pretty much an extension of the run game anyway. So – there's going to be plenty of guys like that. There's going to be plenty of guys available in your later rounds that can fill in that hole. Guys, I got to tell you, I, uh, I'm not in agreement. I, I, I'm not in agreement at all. People that say running backs are a dime a dozen, we've got a few of them in the chat. When you don't have a good running back, you know it in a hurry. And let's, let, let's take now a step back. We're all assuming, we're all assuming now for the first time, it's a very real possibility that Mixon may not be here anymore. We're not going to pronounce him guilty. He's innocent in this country. At least some people are until proven guilty. All right. So here's the thing. You had two guys last year that could carry the ball effectively. Mixon wasn't great, but he was effective at times. P. Ryan wasn't great. He was effective at times. Both guys could catch it out of the backfield, Mixon especially. You had P. Ryan in the backfield who was an outstanding pass blocker. You mean to tell me that you're valuing a running back when you don't have one in the room? You mean to tell me you're going to walk into next season? and not have a running back you know for sure that could block in pass protection or a guy for sure that can run the ball when the Bengals say they want to run the ball. The Bengals were at their best when they had some balance. They were at their worst when they had no balance and threw it around 50 times in a game. The only game they got boat raced all year long last year was against Cleveland, and they threw it 75% of the time because they couldn't run it. Well, they were also got down early. Well, and I understand. Then they had to, and then they had to pass. But I'm saying, they, I'm not buying into this thing. You can just go find a couple of running backs to, to do what Zach Taylor says he wants to do on offense. But Run it, catch it, block. I would make the arguments tight ends are a far bigger dime a dozen than running backs. Well, Trace actually brought up a good point. He said that tight ends are a dime a dozen except for when you get an elite guy, and so are running backs. But, Tom, i got to ask you a question. When was the last time that you saw a team on the precipice 
of being great. And you said, looked at them and said, you know what they need? They need a running back. It has never come in your mind, probably. You've never seen a team where you're like, man, this team is a running back away from being the Super Bowl favorites. It never happens because smart teams don't draft running backs early. The Patriots, throughout their whole run, always had some no-name running back back there or a veteran on a on a cheap deal that was 28 years old coming around like a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. I'm cool with getting Ezekiel Elliott for, for a cheap deal. Yeah, It is abundantly clear in the National Football League that there are elite running backs that can elevate a franchise, but year after year, those teams that have elite running backs that spend a lot of capital or spend early draft choices on these elite running backs don't have the full picture. And I'd rather the Bengals draft a guy in the third round. I'll, I'll even I, I can even see one in the second or third round, but time and time again you cannot draft a running back in the first round. Okay, well look, it was pointed out by Sir Boy Wonder in the chat accurately. So the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl with a seventh round pick in Pacheco and the running back, Correct. but they didn't miss on the seventh. They hit lightning in a bottle with Pacheco. Lightning uh, in a bottle. I think I that's would. the point we're making. Is that. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying take is, a guy like in the you, seventh you, round. You, but if you're waiting until four, five, and six, and you're banking on lightning in a bottle, I would uh, love to go back and look at the last ten years in the draft. Yeah, of fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks in the draft that were worth a damn as a running back in the league. Here's here's what I oh, think oh. is. Sorry, if you want to. Well, I was just going to name them. Uh, Nick Chubb was drafted in the second round. Second round. Okay, I'm saying I'm can, saying just don't take fourth, a first. Fifth, you guys are saying second, third. You haven't got to sure. waste it on a second, third. Oh, I, I, I'm cool with taking it on a second, third. Joe Mixon was a second round pick. That's right. Derek Henry second was round, a second round. Second pick. round. You, no, I'm, I'm with, with you. That. You'll find those guys. I'm saying for somebody to bring up Pacheco, that is a total outlier. Uh, I don't Freak know about out, that. Name me five other guys, and, and I'll give you the weekend to look them up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. We're, we're find me five other guys in the league who are contributing good players to good teams. Yeah, I would. Not some fifth-round guy who's starting for the Texans because two other guys got hurt. I'm talking about a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh-round guy who made a difference on a team at the running back position. I mean, I, to me, I think what is a bigger – if I were to list all the Bengals' needs, even with Joe Mixon being out, I don't see it as a even a top three need. It's not. It's just not. There's to me it's right tackle because you don't know if Jonah Williams will will even be that good, let alone want to play for us anymore. That's my number one need. Number two, it's probably gonna be tight end. Number three, edge rusher. Why is tight end second when you just signed Herb Smith? Because he's not, not your long, future. He's, yeah, he's not, not your long-term long answer. I, I'm talking about the right now. Right now. I don't I, give a damn what the Bengals are looking like in 2024. No, neither does anybody else around here. For their need draft pick in two weeks, who is going to be on the field? You have a tight end. You can I find a backup guy that can block a little. 
They do not have a running back. They've got two or three guys that would be more than capable of playing right tackle. I would, I would rather go into next year with Travion Williams and Chris Evans as the running backs of the Cincinnati Bengals than take a guy in the first round. Thank you. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the first round. Well, I'm with okay, you there. I'm, I'm cool with gotta, taking you them. You got to go 60. your top two two rounds with with a running back. Picks he, pick sixty were fine. And Trace brings up a really good point about how yeah you're picking at the end of the first round. It's pretty much as having an early second round pick as these other teams have. But you've got to realize that those other teams that yeah they've already filled a hole with their early first round pick. The Bengals draft at twenty eight and they do not draft again for thirty two picks. You gotta take a team, gotta take a guy that fills one of the holes that Casey just brought up, and then you plug and play with the running backs late in the second round, third round, whatever. It doesn't matter. You just can't take a guy in the first round. Okay, here's all I'm saying, and I'll leave it at this over a beautiful Easter weekend, okay? When you have gone to back to back AFC championship games. Right. Okay? Yep. Super Bowl, AFC Championship game. You get beaten both of them. I would make the argument. Now, it starts, running backs can't be any good if they don't have an offensive line. Correct. One of the reasons the Bengals did not win each of those games is because they could not convert a third down and one. Correct. Okay? Third down and one. Or third down and two to extend a drive against Kansas City to get a measly three points in the game. So all they needed was a field goal. And they had the ball five times with this ballyhooed offense. Five times. Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. They could not get a field goal against the Kansas City Chiefs in the last quarter and a half to win the game. So now you mean to tell me they had Joe Mixon on that team. Right. They had Samaj P. Ryan on that right. team. I ask the question all the time. Are you better or are you worse? You mean to tell me you think the Bengals are better off going into a year where you're planning on trying to win the Super Bowl with Williams and Evans in your running back room? Yes. Then, then drafting oh a guy in the God. first round. And you, you, you made the point. You... You wax poetic. You illustrated the point to a T. We had good running backs last year, and we couldn't get the third and short because it's not the running back. The running back, when it comes to, to runs, they do 20% of the work. The line, that's what you need to sure yeah. up. That's where you need to fill up. And, and they have the addressed that more than adequately already. Correct. And I think, right. that they can, I think they can add a little more. All right. Do we have a um, cherry on top? Because we're already way over our time amount. Yeah, we do. We do. All right. Presented by UDF. A perfect game with one out to go. I was hoping this would be your voice. I didn't listen to it. I cannot believe you're putting up a call, and it's the Braves announcer. I, 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 I mean, I, I can't believe this. I didn't get a chance. This to is embarrassing. <laughs> Let's get, let's get the I mean, I know I'm borderline horseshit at times, but I had a hell of a call on that perfect game. Let's get and it. And you just ran the Atlanta Braves <laughs> announcers. Let's get, let's get it. 
See, I'm I'm pulling this off. You over have thrown half our audience by going with the Braves announcers. Oh boy. I I apologize, Tom. Let's I didn't have a chance. To that. Let's leave it at that. Randy right. Johnson, a perfect game. Do you, do you in Atlanta? Is, it was today the anniversary of that. No, I just we were talking. You baseball. just wanted to what? Run the Braves announcer? Yes, I did. Randy Tom. Johnson. Yes, I did. I can't believe that they would have the Braves announcer on the, on the YouTube clip because they're the away team, but. Well, that's a that's what you get when you come off the bench. Apologize, Tom. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. Where does that rank in your all-time games I, that you've called? I don't know. It was really cool to see. It was very cool to see. We will have that clip at some point. We will get it better we when it's it. when it's its actual anniversary. Which I think is it's in sometime May. in May. Yes, May eighteenth, two thousand four. Yes. Okay, nineteen that years. It was a while ago. All right, boys, uh, listen, this is the uh, holiest of weekends for those in the Christian faith. So we wish everybody a, uh, a very good, good Friday, great good Friday, uh, and a blessed uh, Easter weekend. Casey, best to you and your family. Reed, you and your family as well. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Happy, happy Easter. I had an easier time saying that to Casey than I did to Reed today. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. What happens? Bush League. Happy Easter to all. God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter weekend. And we'll see you hopefully right back here on Monday. Off the bench. Presented by United Dairy Farmers.